This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. glad to be with you here at the end of all things it's the lord of the rings the return of the king and this film is lit hello and welcome back to the final lord of the rings episode of this film is lit we are talking today about the return of the king the third installment books five and six movie three (laughs) wrapping up this epic journey with one final four-hour-long episode. <laughs> or who knows and how long it'll be. One more summer series under our belt. And one, one more summer series down. Um, we unfortunately will not be joined in studio by Jenna. Uh, so let's just say we had a lot of things that are going on at current. And uh, it was going to not be... She got an internship, among mm-hmm. other things. So she's very busy. Um, We're particularly yes. busy. <laughs> and uh, But we're going to do the same thing we did last episode. And... With all of the Harry Potter episodes, she is recording her questions. We have them here. We're still going to answer them, uh, but she's just not going to be here in the studio with us. That being said, uh, because of that, we do not have a guess who. Yeah. Uh, which there was only a couple, and most of them, most of them that I had were jokes, anyways. Like the description of the mouth of Sauron and the description of Shelob. <laughs> we also don't have a let me sum up because if you're here at this point, you know what's going on. What's the point of? I mean, we could sum it up. There. There, Sam and Frodo getting into Mordor. Gonna throw that ring in the fire. Uh, everybody else gonna fight all the orcs all at once. All them orcs. You know. Every orc in Middle Earth at the same time. Pretty much. Basically. Pretty much. So in that case, and because of that, we're gonna move right on to our first segment. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Jenna, very generous to provide us with all these questions. Here's the first one. All right, sorry to literally be phoning it in again, uh, but regardless, I am back for the final installment in The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Does Frodo break up with Sam in the book? They do not break up in the book. Yeah, that, that is was a movie, a, a movie edition. We have it. Uh, we're going to have a discuss that at length in later segments. When we get there, uh, we have a thoughts about it both ways Mm -hmm. but uh suffice to say there is no uh gollum does not sort of connive into tricking frodo that sam is eating the food and is going Mm -hmm. to steal the ring and all that sort of stuff that's all movie additions and uh so therefore frodo never kicks sam out yeah they just make it all the way there's no a tearful breakup no no tearful breakup in the book okay Samwise versus Shelob. Does it happen? Um, Sam does fight Shelob. Um, and that plays pretty out similarly. Yeah, pretty similarly. The only difference, and I had this in better in the book, 
because I thought I remember I originally had this in the movie nailed it before we watched the movie and then it wasn't in the movie uh, but there's a moment when he fights Shelob where he dual wields swords he yeah. has he has both sting and his sword and they don't now he does that later in the tower mm-hmm. he dual wields so I think maybe they were saving it for that moment <laughs> and it also makes a little more sense maybe against orcs than against the big spider I don't know who knows but he uh, he dual wields and they and he doesn't do that in the movie. Yeah. But the rest of it's very similar and ultimately the way he uh, maims Shelob, where Shelob comes down on him. Yeah, she plays herself. Yeah, real hard yeah. and impales herself <laughs> upon Sting. Although in the movie it's more of she's trying to sting Sam. Yeah, and in, in, the, the book, in the book she's, she's like just trying, trying to, to smash. Yeah, him. she's trying to squish him. Yeah, which is an interesting uh, role reversal. Yeah, for a spider. Yeah. For sure, but it's <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. At least around here, um, but yeah. So, but but it, very similar. Uh, the fight, everything, and he does ultimately triumph by sticking her in the stomach with mm-hmm. Sting. So, and oh my God, the thing that I forgot about until it was happening, but the gnarly spiked wheel that Saruman gets impaled on, it is that how he dies in the book? And then, in addition to that, does Worm Tongue die? Saruman does not get impaled upon a gnarly spiked wheel. He does not. He does die. He does. And we'll talk about that at great length later because that was yeah. a pretty major change about it's where that happens. Maybe in the book. one of the biggest changes. Yes. That with the because the, the chapter where Saruman dies in the book is mm-hmm. the scouring of the Shire, which we're going to discuss uh, mm-hmm. a lot of later when we get into better in the book and better in the movie. Um but the scene where Frodo or where uh, Saruman dies in the movie, and this is only in the extended version, I believe. So, again, we watched all the extended versions. Yeah. If you watch the theatrical cuts, you may be like, what are they talking about? I think if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. In the theatrical cut, Saruman just kind of he yells from the tower, says some stuff from the tower, and then they leave him and he's just there in the tower. Yeah, and we just never hear from him again. I think I'm that's what happens. I'm pretty sure that's how it plays out in the theatrical version. In the movie, he does die, and he is stabbed and killed by Grima, which is what happens in the book. So if you're wondering yeah. about that, we're watching the extended edition. It is Grima that stabs Saruman and kills him, uh, and then Grima is subsequently uh, shot with arrows and killed by different people in the book and the movie, but still. Uh, so, yeah, it's similar-ish to what happens in the book, but it happens at a very different time. Yes. And we'll talk about that when we get to the scouring of the Shire in our later segments. Stay and I answered the next question. Stay tuned to see what segment we put it in. Yeah. <laughs> I answered the next question already. So, thanks. There's two two for one special on that question. Wormtongue does die. All right. So, the scene where the orc forces, like, throw the heads of the man that they killed over the wall, because... Um, the orcs do throw the heads of those that they killed over the wall. Yeah, that is from the book. Uh, they launch a whole bunch of heads over. And I don't know if this was in the theatrical... I believe it was. I was remember it? this, I didn't yeah. remember it. And we I were, think it was. We it were may listening been, to the book, and I we got to that part, and I looked at you like, yikes. And you were like, yeah, that's, yeah, in, that's the in the movie. movie yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember that at all. Uh, like I said, I recall it from the movie. Now, whether or not it for sure was in the theatrical cut, I don't know for positive. But uh, it definitely was in... It definitely was in... The I knew it was in the movie, so, mm-hmm. or at least the extended cut. And I think it's in the theatrical cut. The ugly King of Gondor that I never bothered learning the name of, but I think of every time I eat salad because of the nasty way he eats tomatoes. 
Uh, does he do the self-immolation and then kind of dives off Niagara Falls style? Denethor does self-immolate himself. Self-immolate himself. He does light himself on fire in the book. Mm-hmm. It happens similarly to how it does in the movie. He is trying to burn both he and Faramir. Yeah. Because all hope is lost in his eyes and he just wants to go out in a literal blaze of glory. Uh, he does not, however, swan dive from the highest tower <laughs> of Minas Tirith. He simply crumples into a heap on the fire yeah. uh, inside the Hall of Kings or whatever and it's called. And then the whole hall like, And then it all collapses, collapses on him. yeah. And uh, there is a line that is spoken that is from the book, and we'll get to that later. Does Arwen really try to leave Aragorn at some point? So this is obviously going to be a, uh, a thing that happens in the appendices because none of Arwen... Almost none of Arwen and Aragorn's story is in the main book. They do get married at the end in the book. Uh, she That's like, you know, kind of like her biggest moment in the entire series is she shows up to marry Aragorn. But we do not get much in the way of information about... Uh, we, we get none uh, of the information kind of before that. Uh, it's not implied anywhere in the book that she was going to... In the sorry, in the main book, I did mm-hmm. not read the appendices. It's not applied anywhere because there is the tale of Arwen and Aragorn in the appendices. It's not implied in the main text anywhere that she's like going to leave or anything like that that I recall. But she does show up at the end, um, and she does send him a gift at one point in the book that we'll talk about later. Do you have any additional? Hang on, I'm skimming to make sure I haven't forgotten something because I did read this, but it was like. A month ago at this point. Yeah. And it's a pretty short. Yeah, I don't think that happens. Um, I mean, their story's pretty similar where um, they like they fall in love and their love is kind of doomed. Um, and Elrond is not really sure he wants them to be together because right. that would be bad for Arwen. Right. In a lot of ways. Um, but they do end up. Getting married um, and being together, and of course, then Aragorn eventually kicks the bucket because he's a human. Ah, there um, you go. Yeah, which but, is kind of what we see in flash forwards ish in the movies yeah, throughout has, the course of the movies. She has like a premonition yeah. or something, but the stuff about her um, potentially because in the movie she almost she's like on the way to the Grey Havens, yeah. and then it's like no. We're going to have kids one day. And then yeah. she comes running back and decides to go and live. And be so with that Aragorn. seems to have been a movie. Ad. Kind of a movie extrapolation yeah. from the information that we do have. Okay, please. For the love of God, the line. I am no man. This line is in the book. Basically, uh, which, of course, it's iconic. One of the best moments in the whole series, uh, in my opinion. And it is in the book it's slightly different and we'll discuss in which ways it's different and whether mm-hmm. we think the movie or the book version is better. Cause we do have it yeah. later. Um, that line does not appear verbatim Sorry, in the yes. book, um, but there is but that, yeah. a version of it. There is a version of it in the book and we'll talk about it later. So all these teasers for later. <laughs> and then at the end, uh, does Bilbo really forget the ring and, and the whole reason that Frodo was gone and his whole quest? Um, yeah, he has the same question. The exact the same end. question. Yeah. Where he, they're on their way to the Grey Havens, and Bilbo asks, Hey, do you have that ring? Yeah. Do you have my old ring? And Frodo says, No, I lost it. Sorry. And Bilbo says, Well, it's too bad. I would have liked to see it again. Just kind of implying that mm-hmm. he, at this point, he's kind of forgotten the, the whole ordeal. He is really old. He is quite old. 
uh, yes. So yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't remember the ring. Doesn't remember where Frodo went or why. Yeah. Or if he does, it's he. He's sort of. We're again. We're sort of. I think to think that at his very old age, he's sort of in and out of. Mm-hmm. You know how. Uh, how lucid he is. How lucid and, he yeah. is, and how much he remembers, and that yeah. sort of thing. So. Yeah, he he remembers the ring vaguely, but doesn't remember quite how important and all the details about it. Is the climax in the movie in the book the same? Like Frodo and Gollum's kind of wrestling and Gollum falls into the lava with the ring. The climax is I moved this. This was a, she had this in Lost Adaptation, but I did want to move this into was that in the book? Because it's kind of more was that in the book. But the climax is very similar. Yes. Very similar in inside the crack of doom. Uh, there's a little more fighting in the movie mm-hmm. uh, where they're before they even get into the crack. That's not really in the book. Yeah, There's a little more fighting. There's a little more Sam yelling. Yeah. A lot more dialogue yeah. in the movie of Sam like, come on, dude. Good. And it's all a callback because it's all shot very similarly to yes. the moment where Elrond and Isildur are in the crack of doom in the very first movie at the beginning when they're talking about the ring. And uh, yeah, in a, fact, it's a parallel to it, that. In fact, I mean, like Frodo shot identically to a seal door. Uh, same for El- Elrond and Sam. Similar lines, all that stuff. And that's not so much of that in the book. Mm-hmm. Sam just kind of I think at one point might yell at him to throw it in. But it doesn't. That, but that's it. He says it a lot in the movie. And the movie drags it out to kind of really. Yeah. Uh, build up the tension and that sort of thing. But uh, the, the uh, Gimli or Kimley. <laughs> Gollum does show up and does, in fact, uh, jump on Frodo, bite his finger off mm-hmm. after Frodo puts the ring and on. because he becomes Frodo of the nine fingers. Yeah. And Frodo decides not to throw it in, uh, puts it on. Gollum comes up, bites it off. The biggest change in that moment, and we have this later. Again, we want to discuss this more later. The biggest change in that moment is that Gollum <laughs> simply in the mo- in the book... Uh, is excited that he got the ring and is jumping for joy and then slips and falls into the fire. Yeah. And that's it. While yeah. Frodo's kind of laying on the ground looking at him. The movie has Frodo get up, fight. They both tumble over the edge. Frodo catches on and survives. Mm-hmm. And now that's an interesting change. Uh, yeah, we'll that's talk a, a about change with a lot of implications. It's a small, somewhat small change with lots of implications. And we discussed this while we were watching the movie. And I think... Uh, we'll talk about why, which we prefer and why mm-hmm. in a later segment. So, again, one yeah, more tease. That for was later. probably the biggest change. Um, other than that, the plot beats are all pretty much yeah. the same. That was it for was that in the book. We have more things that we'll discuss about the book later. Yes. Very many more things. Let's move on right now, though, to Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow. Was lost. Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Jenna has a few questions for us here uh, about some things that happen in the book or in the movie, and it's to see if there's any more that goes on in the book that we're not that was not yeah. we're not privy to in the films. So first thing is this question: The Hobbit's return to the Shire is sort of glossed over a bit, in my opinion, in the movie. Is this expanded on at all in the book? Like, did anyone in the Shire ever find out about their adventures and what they did? Um, yeah, actually, there's quite a bit in <laughs> yeah. the book about uh, what the hobbits did after they got back to the Shire. Yeah. Um, there's a whole chapter, um, the scouring of the Shire. Yes. And then there's uh, a bit more about uh, the hobbits and what they did in the next chapter, which I think is the Grey Havens. Yeah. 
Um, and there's actually even more if you go back to the beginning of Fellowship and you read the, the yes. prelude concerning hobbits. Yes. There's, we find out even a little bit more about what some of them did. And I mentioned this in the uh, either the prequel, no, in the Fellowship of the Ring episode, I think, that we find out that Mary wrote a whole book about pipeweed. And mm-hmm. Pippin became the thane mm-hmm. of the, the the Tooks, and it was like the king hobbit, basically, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, they, they a little bit of implications, or not implications, a little bit more not, uh, to know there of what happened. But, yeah, uh, there's a lot. The Scouring of the Shire, we mentioned it. We're going to get to it. Uh, if you're a book reader, uh, everybody, it's kind of one of the, it's the biggest maybe change yeah. in this book for sure. Um, at least in terms of like this whole thing is missing from yes. the movies, and it's kind of a big section of the book. We're going to talk about it once we get to our, our Better in the Book, Better in the Movie, Movie Nailed It segments here very shortly. But Jenna has one more question first. Okay. And the final question for this is kind of a generic overall uh, question about the series. Out of all of the movie adaptations in the trilogy, which one is most accurate to the book? So in my opinion, the most accurate to the book, uh, probably Fellowship. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, I think Fellowship is probably, because um, you could make the argument that uh, Two Towers and Return of the King are automatically less quote-unquote faithful because they move stuff around from the end to the beginning. Yeah, they move stuff around a lot. Now, yeah, uh, and they also just move, they move some, obviously, some big events from three into two. Yes. Some big events from... Uh, one into or from two into one blah 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 etc so yeah they move some stuff around they also within them like return of the king moves around a fair amount of stuff Mm -hmm. in terms of like when aragorn does some things and what happens uh and i think because just less plates or less there are less plates spinning in fellowship that it's more of a direct adaptation right when everybody's together in fellowship we're watching like just that one plot line happen as opposed to like several different plot lines so the the screen adapters didn't need to move things around quite as much yeah um or cut things quite as much now there are things missing definitely from fellowship and we talked about how the timeline's very different uh we talked about how um, like they cut all the old forest stuff. Yeah, Tom, Tom Bombadil, Bombadil, all that stuff. Uh, but that uh, those chapters that they cut in the beginning of Fellowship, uh, kind of similar to the Scouring of the Shire. A little Scouring of the Shire is arguably a way more impactful yeah. to the overall story. Um, but it, it's a very the way they trim Fellowship and cut those out is very neat and clean and kind of makes sense mm-hmm. in terms of like it doesn't affect much other mm-hmm. than we don't ever meet Tom Bombadil but like okay um which <laughs> it doesn't really affect no, much no it doesn't really affect much he's not a player later on no so. he doesn't come back or anything like that so yeah i would say fellowship's probably the closest this one has a lot of moments that are really close to the book yeah uh return to so does i mean they all do they're yeah. all very faithful in different ways but yeah i would argue fellowship's probably the closest um overall yeah i think if you were to i don't know why you would do this um but i think if you were to sit down and do like a plot outline of each book and then a plot outline of each movie i think fellowship would probably line up the best yeah so if that's how we define faithful right then fellowship yeah Yeah, i agree okay and for a third and final time at least for now i think that does it for my section Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to Katie and Brian for having me on, and thanks to everybody for listening to my less-than-dulcet tones. Um, 
Sorry I couldn't be there in person, but you know, I have a nine to five and capitalism is always twisting its knife in my back. But we're back to the part where I have to plug something, so I think just take care of yourselves and each other and be good people. All right, that was it for Lost in Adaptation. Thank you, Jenna, for the final time uh, in The Lord of the Rings. I'm sure maybe in the future we'll get you back for something. Well, I told but, her we'd have her back on sometime when she could actually come and record yeah, with us. one day so. <laughs> she'll get to come to the studio. Well, she already did once, but... yeah. One day again, she'll come back to the studio. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for doing that for us. Uh, we'll we'll plug Carly Rae Jepsen for you again. I'm sure she has a new album out or something. <laughs> I'm sure she's doing something she's doing exciting. Something. Go check out Carly Rae Jepsen. Jenna's a big fan. But thank you, Jenna. And uh, we're going to move on and do our big segments. Better in the book, better in the movie, movie nailed it. All that's coming right up. But first, better in the book. Strap in, everyone. You like to read? Yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. <sighs> Got a lot to talk about. Couple things to preface this. One, we each read this book once, listened to a lot of it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing different this time. We listened to most of this book on audiobook. Yeah. And we did it together while driving in a car. Um, you were taking notes and we were kind of discussing as we went. So there's, as always, there's probably little details. And again, I have never read this book before. I now realize I thought I had read some of it. I have not read any of Return of the King before. I have only ever read the first two years ago. Um, Um, I had read it once before. Um, I read all of them right in a row in college. Um, This one took me the longest to get through. Yeah. And I, but I had, did not read any of the appendices yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. So, uh, and we also didn't, you read Arwen and Aragorn story, but we didn't delve into the appendices Mm-mm. very much, if at all, in this. Uh, so there's definitely things we're going to miss. We're not Tolkien scholars. If you're like the world's biggest return or Lord of the Rings fan and know everything about the books. Cool. We don't. <laughs> uh, we both enjoyed them thoroughly. Uh, we've I have enjoyed them before. And we enjoyed them this time. But there's probably things we're going to mess up or miss or not know about. So just get ready for that. This is us uh, kind of breaking down and comparing between the two things. Also, I wanted to mention that. Uh, so if you're not a book reader, the books are in the similar style that they normally are in this one where we get most of the storyline concerning Gondor and Minas Tirith in the first book. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sam and Frodo's storyline takes place during the second half of the book. And then they all converge kind of yeah, at the end yeah. of the book yeah. when, for the climax, basically. Um, so our notes in each segment are going to go kind of through the stuff that happens in with uh, all of the uh, Aragorn and all them. And then at one point, halfway through, we'll get back and we'll talk about all Frodo and Sam stuff. And then again, we'll at the end, we'll talk about all the stuff at the end of the movie. So it's a little bit jumbled. Yeah, it's a little tough because we take book notes and then we add movie notes to it. And it's a little bit tough to parse where to put things because the movie moves stuff around from where the book is. And it's so anyways, so it's a, it's a little bit jumbled. It's mostly set up in book order. Yeah, mostly, but we're going to do our best to keep you guys aware of where we are and what we're talking about. We will do our best. We also have two different versions of the book with different page numbers. So we're quoting page numbers. Sometimes it'll be from my book which is all all of the books together in one and so it's like a thousand pages or and you have just the lord of the rings return of the king copy which has different page numbers so could not be more confusing but let's get into it first thing this is a little fun fact that i just thought was interesting because we've learned about them throughout the course of also the first bits of these notes or no later are 
some of these notes are from the end of Two Towers. Yes. Because the events cross over in the movies to where the... Well, if you remember back to our Two Towers episode, we said we were going to do that. Yes. Um, That we were going to save the last couple chapters of Of each book book. of the Two Towers for this uh, episode because all of that stuff happens in the third movie. Right. So Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, (laughs) the confrontation with Saruman, uh, Pippin looking into the Palantir, that all happens at the end of book two, quote unquote, at the end of the Two Towers book, but happens at the beginning of the Return of the King movie. So everything with Shelob happens at the end of two towers book two towers book beginning of return Be- of the King. yeah okay there we go <laughs> boy so now let's get to the actual interesting stuff hurons are the moving trees this is a little thing but that's what they're called moving on the the trees that the not ants but not the ones ants, that like the, the forest that move. that move they're called right? hurons hmm. so there you go that's a thing i learned this is a little detail that comes back in the book uh, that Aragorn, when he finds out, he's talking to Pippin and Sam and they have smoking Longbottom Leaf. Right. This happens when in the movie. When they're at Isengard. Happens in the movie and the book. They, they find Longbottom Leaf and they're like, hooray. And Aragorn in the book is like, what did that, how did that get here? Yeah. He's very, uh, he's concerned about how the heck uh, Longbottom Leaf from the Shire ended up in Isengard. And it's a little bit of a forewarning for what's going to happen at the end of the book. Now, mm-hmm. I have this in better in the book. It's it's better in the book only because I thought it was interesting and a, an interesting setup for later. Yeah. But it's also uh, it doesn't make sense. Wouldn't really make sense in the movie because the scouring of the Shire right. is not a plot yeah. line. <laughs> so it wouldn't make sense for him to be like, "Ooh, how did that get here? And then nothing would ever come of it in, yeah. the, in the movie. So. Um, Saruman's voice nearly bewitching everyone. I thought um, this was really interesting. Yeah, in the and it's book. it's something that doesn't come through in the movie. No, uh, Gandalf warns everybody in the movie about mm-hmm. how his, even though his, uh, you know, Isengard is lost or whatever, that his power isn't gone. And it's made very clear in the book that his, his one of his biggest powers is his ability to to sort of bewitch people with his speech. Yeah. And the movie does a really good or the book does a really good job. He goes through and talks to every single person who's there. Pretty much. He talks to Aomir. He talks to Theoden. He talks to Gimli. He talks to Gandalf mm-hmm. kind of goes through everybody and tries to like appeal to them. Yeah. Like he's very flattering and stuff. And one of the other things I love about it, about this scene is that one Gimli sees right through his act. He's like, fuck you. Yeah. Dwarves are very sensible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but the other thing is that every time, and I, I this I thought it was really really interesting, is that he he starts in on somebody. He's very flattering, mm-hmm. and then as soon as they show any signs of resistance against him, he immediately flips. He immediately flips and uh and starts insulting them, yeah. and like just and he does this to Theoden in the movie where he starts. He's like oh, uh, but then at the end he's like oh you're you're thatched roof. Yeah. yeah, your hall's nothing but a thatched roof barn for full of, you know, what a horsemen and whatever he says. Some, you know, he starts talking really negatively about Edoras and that sort of thing. And I think it was really interesting and a well-written sort of it's felt like very classic narcissist like mm-hmm. um self-important. He he sounds like Donald Trump a little bit, on Twitter yeah. where if he if he thinks more eloquent, but. way more eloquent, <laughs> but he he if he thinks that you're you can help him. Mhm. And I say Donald Trump, but it could be anybody. That's just the most relevant uh, uh, sort of topical example. Uh, 
but where if he thinks you can help him and that you're potentially could be on his side, very nice. Yeah. Very uh, praising, all that sort of stuff. But as soon as you uh, make it clear that you're not, you're now you're you're trash, you're garbage, you're the worst, mm-hmm. lowest of the low, you're awful, you know. And I thought it was very interesting because he does it to every single character. It's it's uh, you would have yeah. to read it. It's um in the chapter the voice of Saruman, but I just thought it was. I thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah. And his conversation with Theoden is the only one that makes it into the movie. Yeah. Um, but he does do this with pretty much everybody that's there. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can find a really quick example. Hold on. I can't find a good example. It all I would have to read too much for all of it. So yeah. <laughs> just go check out The Voice of Saruman if you want to see what I'm talking about. It's page 578 in the full. <laughs> it's right after. It's like two pages into chapter 10. So there you yeah. go. Sorry if you have a copy of it. It's interesting, but I, I would have to read whole pages and I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much to talk about already. Um, one thing that does not happen uh, in the movie that is in the book um, is the way they get the Palantir. Yeah. Um, in the movie, it just kind of drops out of Saruman's sleeve yeah, after, after he, he dies. Off, yeah. um, in the book, Wormtongue, not understanding how important and vital it yeah. is to Saruman, fucking chucks it at him yeah throws it at him leaving. yeah which is interesting he just <laughs> throws yeah. it i mean it's basically a bowling ball yeah he doesn't know he's <laughs> he just, just like Ugh. he throws it at him um and pippin picks it up yeah or whatever and that all happens similarly but i think that was interesting that he just hurls it at him and then saruman's like what did you do <laughs> i needed that he gets very upset that yeah. he threw it at him because again uh saruman does not die in this moment in the movie right uh, he in survives the, in the or in the book he yeah. does die in the movie in the um, book he lives till the yeah, end of the and the palantir is we established earlier is how he communicates with Sauron. Yeah, so he did need that kind of need quite that. a bit. <laughs> yeah, and now he doesn't have it thanks yeah. to Wormtongue. Um, so here's the first place where we need to bring up uh, the 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 movie's decision to cut the scouring of the Shire. Yes, which we will discuss um, how we feel about that decision later. Yeah, um, but the movie does make that choice. Which, in turn, meant that they had to deal with Saruman and Grima here yeah. in the movie. Um, and I, I think the way that the movie does it works okay. Yeah. And the way that they meet their fates are similar to the book. And it's similar in terms of outcome. Yeah. Grima stabs uh, Saruman because he's treating him terribly, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. But he, yeah, he does kill uh, Saruman with a knife. Although he slits his throat in the book. Yeah, and he stabs him, and in, the stabs him in the movie. But he Grima kills Saruman, yeah. um, and then Grima gets shot Arrowed. with arrows. Yeah, I, I do think though that it maybe isn't as strong as it is in the book. Yeah. This scene, um, and I think Grima's actions maybe aren't as well earned. Yeah. here the main thing that the main difference here is that in the book, Saruman and Grima they they get away from Orthanc, and they're kind of on the road and on the run together for a while and we see them several times over the course of the book and every time we see them uh saruman is just ruthlessly cruel to grima like kicking him and insulting him and just being awful to him consistently like at least uh you know in this first scene in the tower uh, later they find him come across him on the road and then finally when they show up in the shire at the end of the book 
same thing. So we kind of had this reinforced throughout the course of the book of just how terribly Saruman treats Grima. Yeah. And so him snapping and killing Saruman feels like it makes a little more sense because it's been just established more of, mm-hmm. of what he's been dealing with from Saruman. And now he's just kind of a broken man and how he just snaps at the end. And this one, we get like 30 seconds of Grima being there and then he hits him once and is like, you fool or whatever. And then Grima's like, all right, fuck this and stabs him. And it's like, <laughs> Okay, yeah, like, uh, sure. Yeah, sure, but... It just doesn't feel, because he was just working with him and was on his side. Yeah. And now, yeah, it it just feels a little less earned and a little less... uh, It's a little less impactful. Yeah. It just doesn't quite work as well. Uh, There's a line in the book where Gandalf explains that you do not ride Shadowfax. He is either willing to carry you or not, (laughs) which... He is the lord of all horses. (laughs) He is the lord of all horses. And I thought that was an interesting line that they don't mention in the... That's not in the movie. Yeah. But he does ride him without a saddle in the movie, which yes. is you cannot saddle Shadowfax. Um, no, he accepts Obviously no saddle not. or no saddle or bit. Or <laughs> Obviously whatever. not. No. <laughs> um, there was a little moment in uh, the book that I kind of loved, um, where Gimli and Legolas are talking to Treebeard yeah. about the possibility of coming back to Fangorn to, Fangorn. to visit, yeah. um, and to go deeper into the forest and see all of the cool old trees, yeah. which is something Legolas really wants to do. Yeah, um, and he's uh, he's kind of like talking to Treebeard about Gimli coming with him, yeah. to do that. Um, and Treebeard, of course, is kind of like, I don't know, he's a dwarf. I mean, you're an elf, you're fine, <laughs> you're but fine. he's a dwarf. Um, and then Gimli, while talking to Treebeard, accidentally drops his axe <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Legolas has to smooth things over by telling Treebeard how many orcs Gimli killed. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, look, he he kills so many orcs. Like, let me tell you, just this guy. <laughs> he orc actually he killed more orcs than I did. Even. Yeah, technically, by one, <laughs> at least. At least I told him that. <laughs> I don't know what the scary carved bridge is. Um, this is where we're on to Sam and Frodo. Oh, we're, yeah, now. we moved on to Sam yes. and Frodo at the end of Two Towers book. Yeah, at yeah. the end of Two Towers book. Um, I don't remember exactly where they cross the scary carved bridge. It's before. Before they meet up with Faramir, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't remember this at all, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a carved bridge, and the description of it sounded really cool. It's in the Two yeah. Towers, which I don't which have don't in have, here. So we can't even read so it. So I can't look it up. If you have the movie version of the book, check out page 397 to hear about the scary carved bridge. <laughs> well, it sounded really cool. This is all I have in my notes. I'm sorry. Okay. I just wrote down scary carved bridge. This could be the moment where they go where they're at. It could be the bridge at um at, at Minas Morgul potentially Maybe. when they before cuz this is before they go up to Shelob's lair. Yeah. So it could be that bridge. It was like they crossed a bridge and the description of it was like it was carved with like like terrifying, grotesque animals and faces. Yeah, that's Menace Morgul. It's got to be because in the movie we see it, uh, the bridge coming out of Menace Morgul and we see those big like watcher things that are like, they're not the watchers from later, but they're like these big monster things sitting at the edge of the bridge. That's probably what you're talking about is the Menace Morgul bridge. I'm pretty sure. There's a moment in the book uh, that I thought was really interesting where Gollum comes up and sees Sam and Frodo laying together and he like actually uh, like Frodo, they're like, I think Frodo is laying on Sam and they're like both sleeping or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he um, you get this moment with Gollum where he like truly returns to himself and you can tell that he misses like just friendship. Yeah. 
And so Golem found them hours later when he returned, crawling and creeping down the path out of the gloom ahead. Sam sat propped against the stone, his head drooping sideways and his breathing heavy. In his lap lay Frodo's head, drowned deep in sleep. Upon his white forehead lay one of Sam's brown hands, and the other lay softly upon his master's breast. Peace was in both their faces. Gollum looked at them. A strange expression passed over his lean, hungry face. The gleam faded from his eyes, and they went dim and gray, old and tired. A spasm of pain seemed to twist him, and he turned away, peering back up towards the path, shaking his head as if engaged in some interior debate. Then he came back and slowly putting out a trembling hand. Very cautiously, he touched Frodo's knees, but almost the touch was a caress. For a fleeting moment, could one of the sleepers have seen him? Would they have thought that they... That they beheld an old, weary hobbit, shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his home, beyond friends and kin, and the fields and streams of youth, an old, starved, pitiable thing. So, that was a really, uh, the movie captures a lot of that within Gollum, Mm -hmm. but that particular scene is like, or this particular moment in the book, I thought was like a really, um, yeah, sort of, yeah, it really drives home, uh, the 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 sadness of Gollum in the so when we get to Shelob's lair one of the things and we talked about this same thing in the Mines of Moria mm-hmm. is that in the books all of these places are described as pitch black and you cannot see anything yes in Shelob's lair they cannot see anything in the movie Sam's not there at the beginning because this is after Fro- he Frodo kicks him mm-hmm. and says get out of here. Uh, in the book, they're both together and they like hold hands and like use their hands on the wall to like be able to navigate through this because they can't literally can't see anything. Yeah. They also forget about the vial for like most of the beginning. And this which is whatever. <laughs> um, they forget about rope. They forget about the vials. They forget about all kinds of stuff that like they don't have that much it's stuff with stressful, them. Very stressful. OK, yeah, it's very stressful, I guess. But come on, you got to remember the tools you brought for the specific purposes. Um, <laughs> but so they. It, the movie is a really interesting depiction of Shelob's lair. It's dark, giddyish, and creepy, but there's lots of light coming. Like the Mines of Moria, there's lots of places where light comes from somewhere that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense because this is all just completely underground. It would be pitch black. There's something horrible, horribly oppressive about reading it. Yes. I understand why the movies don't do that because it's not interesting. <laughs> we just be watching a pitch black screen yeah. with some sound. Right. Uh, and maybe they could have potentially made it look a little bit darker at times just to kind of yeah. sell more how dark it was. Because there are moments where Frodo, like, feels like he's feeling around in the movie, but we can all see everything he's doing. So yeah. it feels like it's like, what can't you see? Like, it's yeah, it's plenty bright in there. But anyways, it's, it's an interesting difference. I like the oppressive darkness, which is also in line with what Shelob is. She's like this spawn of this ancient spider got evil spider yeah. demon god that literally sows webs of darkness yeah so it kind of makes sense that the whole that darkness is uh is so complete in her lair uh but again for the movie i get it but it's it's interesting it's fairly interesting to read and this is a good change well i mean it's better in the book but it's a good change mm-hmm. it's really interesting to read about them being in complete pitch darkness and feeling their way around and terrified and yeah. the oppressive stuffiness of it all. It's very compelling to read, not compelling to watch. So the movie does it a different way that I think makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the way the movie does it is good, too, because um, a lot of people, I think, watching this movie are going to have some kind of idea of what Frodo is walking into. Yeah. So, like, seeing, like, kind of the spider webs start to build up and, yeah. like, the little corpses and stuff creates, like, this very, like, awful sense of foreboding Yeah. for the audience because you know 
right? Yeah. You yeah. know what he's you walking know. into. Yeah. Um, something in the book that doesn't come through in the movie that I thought was interesting was that uh, there's kind of a partnership yeah. between Shelob and Sauron, um, where he kind of just let her, like, he kind of just lets her do her thing. Yeah. Um, and doesn't really bother her at all. Yeah. Because he knows she's like a better guard than any of the orcs could be. Yeah. Through those tunnels. So he's like, yeah, you can eat some of my orcs down then. I got lots. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. You can have them. <laughs> Just the, keep doing what you do. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting <laughs> in the book that doesn't isn't mentioned at all in the movie is that Gollum goes up there and like uh, kind of talks to her. Yeah. Before he brings them up. And they talk about him him going up there and bowing before her and that sort of thing. And like basically being like, please don't eat me. Eat these people. I'm bringing you tasty hobbits. Yeah. Have them. Uh, which is not really mentioned in the movie at all. But it is interesting in the book that he's sort of and it's brokering. In, in, the, and it's implied, too, that he kind of does stuff like this. Yeah. Because the orcs that eventually find Frodo refer to him as her sneak. Yeah. Yeah, they know about him and that yeah, yeah. he kind of occasionally brings her food and that sort of thing. In the book, I thought it was interesting, and I don't remember if the, exactly if this happens in the movie, but in the book, he uh, pulls out um, he pulls out the uh, the file after uh, Frodo he gets disappears and Sam's there. Um, he pulls out the light. Uh, he staggers to his feet and, and was Samwise the Hobbit, Hamfast son again. Now come, you filth, he cried. You've hurt my master, you brute, and you'll pay for it. We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. Come on and taste it again. Which is... he. Does, I don't think he gets that moment in the movie so much where he yeah. he gets to like taunt her, which I thought was fun in the book. Um, another thing uh, that is quite a bit of the book... Um, but that doesn't really happen yeah. in the movie is Sam having to contemplate what to do after he thinks Frodo's yeah. dead. Cause he thinks Frodo's dead for quite a bit longer yeah. in the book than yeah. he does in the movie. And he has to kind of stand there and be like, what do I do? What now? do I do? <laughs> yeah. We know he gets the ring yeah. in the, in the book where in the movie, it's kind of a like, Oh, reveal that he took the ring yeah. off of Frodo's body. Um, but we see it, we know he took it and he uses it at one point to hide from some orc that or he hears coming up the path mm -hmm. um, and he hears them take Frodo. But they don't say that he's Frodo's alive until way later. Yeah, he figures this out. But he has to. So they take Frodo and then he's sitting there like, OK, what do I do? Do I go right, try to I, finish yeah, this? Do I try to finish this. Do I go try to say Frodo is but he's dead. Do I go get his body back? Do I just quit? <laughs> like, do I just go yeah, home? Just <laughs> At one point, he literally considers uh, because the orcs are like all around him, I think, and he thinks he's not going to be able to get away or, or mm -hmm. whatever. He considers just like killing as many of them as he can and just kind of dying in the process. Like, yeah. just like how much, see how many orcs he could take down before he dies, which I thought was interesting. But ultimately, he follows them into the Shelob's lair and, and that's to a door. It's a little convoluted in the book. The yeah. movie kind of yeah, streamlines yeah. all of this. He, but he's overhearing and listening to the orcs talk about what they're going to do kind of behind this door in Shelob's lair. And one of the things I like about this scene is he gets to sit and listen to the, the orcs complaining about their jobs basically, <laughs> which is like an interesting. I thought the whole yeah. conversation between the two, like captain orcs was interesting. Yeah. Where they're like, they're, they are just kind of sitting there bitching about their jobs. Yeah. Those, this is Gorbag. Those Nazgul give me the creeps and they skin the body off you as soon as look, 
And they skin the body off of you as soon as look at you and leave you all cold in the dark on the other side. But he likes them. Talking about Sauron. They're his favorites nowadays. So it's no use grumbling. I tell you, it's no game serving down in the city. Talking about uh, Osgiliath, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you should try being up here with Shelob for company, said Shagrat. I'd like to try somewhere where there's none of them. But the war's on now, and when that's over, things may be easier. It's going well, they say. And like, literally, just listen. <laughs> and it's the mo- It's the only humanizing moment I know. of these char- of orcs in they the entire series. They just sound like regular old soldiers. Yeah. Like, ugh, I'd rather not be here, but maybe things will improve after we've won the war. Yeah, we'll see. But anyways, if it does go well, there could be a lot more room. What do you say? If we get a chance, you and me will slip off and get up somewhere on our own with a few trusty lads, somewhere where there's good loot, uh, nice and handy, and no big bosses. Like, we don't, they don't want to work for Sauron. <laughs> They're like, we just want to go do our, be pirates somewhere. Like, that's, that's really interesting. Um... <laughs> But yeah, the movie does not have any sort of humanizing moments for the yeah, orcs. No. They also mention and talk about how much of a badass Sam must be because yeah. they find the dead, uh, some dead orcs somewhere or something. Well, they see that they say somebody stuck Shelob. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that Shelob got stuck, and they say it must be some giant elf warrior. Yeah, because that's the only yeah. person who could have possibly done that. Yeah, they, like this big badass elf. Yeah, and Sam's sitting there listening to him and chuckles about it. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> In the book, uh, it takes Sam a lot longer to realize that Frodo is alive. And also, in the book, as a reader, you I could see how you would almost buy that Frodo is actually dead, mm-hmm. potentially. Whereas, to me, in the movie, I never... It, it, they... They they so quickly move on that it feels yeah. almost... Like, they're so quickly like, nah, he's alive, actually. That it's like, okay, well... Fine. Yeah. Like it doesn't. There's no. It's like no stakes there. In the mo- in the book, they drag it on for like a whole chapter, if not more, of a Sam going and planning to go. He's like, well, I'm gonna go get his body, uh, and he's gonna go. He just like we get this whole thing, and and it just feels like well, maybe Frodo's actually dead, and Sam's just gonna have to go do this thing on his own. Like if you're yeah. reading this for the first time, you may think that in the movie that you don't get any sort of time to even think that it's just right. It's right just, on oh, to no. Nope, he's, he's dead. Nope. He's not. No. Dead. He's not dead. <laughs> So I thought that was really interesting in the book that you could actually potentially buy the idea that maybe Frodo died there, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Um, so we are going to <laughs> bounce to Minas Tirith. Yes. Now. Because now we're done uh, with. Right. In this segment, we are actually on to the actual text of Return yes. of the King, which starts out with Gandalf and Pippin riding to yes. Minas Tirith. In because Gondor. the end of the Two Towers book is uh, Sam getting ready to go into the tower to save yes. Frodo. So that's where we're now we're jumping back yeah. to the Return of the King. So now we're jumping back. Um, and uh, when they arrive in uh, to see Denethor, he refers to Gandalf as Gandalf Stormcrow. Yeah. And I personally think that we should be calling <laughs> Gandalf that instead of the gray or the white, because Grand- Gandalf Stormcrow is a way cooler name. It's also, I think, in- disrespectful intentionally. It probably is, but it's a way cooler name. Yeah, I think the idea is it is cooler. I think that he calls him that, and I could be wrong about this, so come at me and correct me, but I think that he calls him Stormcrow because, and that some people, some men, 
or whoever call him Stormcrow because uh, they they talk about him as he always comes with ill tidings. Yeah, as, he's and always like the times, bearer of bad the news. The bearer of bad news or he comes when things are in a bad way and that sort of thing. So Stormcrow being, I think, sort of a, a derogatory term. Uh, you know, he's this right. thing Crow that flies in eaters. with the st- yeah, and flies in when when a storm is brewing. You know, like that yeah. I think is the implication. So it's kind of a disrespectful title that they give him, but it is badass. It does yeah. sound cool. I get it, but it's <laughs> a cooler name. Yeah, Baragond is a character in the book that is not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a a member of the uh, the army at, at, at in Gondor at Minas Tirith. Uh, he's not super important. Doesn't really need to be in the movie. He does have an interesting part to play later on with Faramir and Pippin, or in the Boromir or the Denethor Faramir Pippin yes. storyline, uh, kind of later. And we also the other thing that I like about him that isn't in the movie is that Pippin gets to meet his kid mm-hmm. and gets to kind of like hang out with his kid for a while, which I thought was interesting. I get why the movie cut it, but it's kind of interesting and different. Uh, to get that perspective of a kid who's kind of hanging out. At well, and it, I think it would have been nice to see. Um, perspective of just like ordinary people who live in Gondor because in the movie all we really get are Denethor and Faramir yeah who are both kind of like special cases yeah yeah exactly yeah we don't really get anybody of a norm like your average run-of-day yeah. person inside of Minas yeah your average run-of-the-mill Gondorian we don't really get to hear from um, but while Pippin is in Minas Tirith, uh, there are some rumors that go around yeah. about him, all of which are great. They're all great, yeah. Um, one of them is that he's a halfling prince. Yeah, he's a halfling prince. Um, and the other one is that um, 5,000 hobbit soldiers are coming to fight. With the Rohirrim. With the, with the Rohirrim. That every, every, uh, every, single, every Roh- single one is coming with a hobbit warrior. Like sidekick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought would be freaking awesome. It would have been so cool. It would have been so cool if all of them came, and now one of them does. We get we get uh, Durnhelm yeah. with Mary. Yeah. But it would have been great if all of them had a hobbit with them. They, like, chuck off their horse <laughs> into the battle. It would have been pretty cool. But, yeah, I thought that was a fun rumor, so I wanted to mention it because that's not mentioned. Again, yeah. We don't really hear from anything. We don't hear much of anything from any of the people within right. this Tirith. Um, which in the movie, uh, the, also a small change that I think makes sense in the movie. In the book, like there's nobody there. It's like just the soldiers mostly. Mm-hmm. They've kind of sent everybody else away to go hide, which I thought was... I think that's an interesting change because it it's like, isn't Minas Tirith like the safest place they could be? Basically, so. like, yeah. you know, it's going to get attacked, but it's also like the biggest fort. Yeah, because like, yeah, it is. It's a fort. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and it also makes sense in the movie. To have them there just for the stakes of like when the orcs come in, they're like murdering kids and mm-hmm. and women and you know everybody else. It's not just soldiers, but uh, we also hear in the book we get a. Uh, this is not something that's mentioned in the movie, and I thought again, it's sort of a little detail that I think expands the world mm-hmm. that the movie doesn't do. Is that we get Pippin goes and watches all of these companies coming in to help defend Gondor. Uh, when they call Gondor calls for aid, in fact, oh, that's what the beacons are for. Yeah. We'll talk about it. So Gondor does call for aid. We'll talk about the beacons later. But uh, and so all of these people from the different like far reaches of Gondor's kingdom are coming in to help, mm-hmm. and, and they're all arriving. And I thought it was interesting because they're they're all from different places. And this is where we're introduced to Prince Am- Imrahil or whatever, yeah. who's kind of a minor character in the book who shows up and does a lot of stuff. He's not really important. He's not in the movie at all. Um, but he does show up in the book and have stuff to do. 
Yeah, it's not, like, super important, although I will say, um, I find the fact that they were able to defeat the forces of Sauron, um, yeah. at that battle a little more believable yeah. in the book, because they have, like, other armies there. Right. It's not just Gondor and Rohan. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another thing that happens that doesn't happen in the book or in the movie that I thought was kind of interesting that the, I get why the movie cuts it, but uh, a bunch of rangers show up to help yeah. Aragorn yeah. Uh, when Aragorn is uh, at, uh, I think this is when he's at Durnholm, uh, which happens slightly different in the movie, which is the big place up a high in the mountain um, mm-hmm. that Aragorn is at in the movie with Theoden and everybody. He goes there first on his own quickly in the books with Gimli and Legolas, uh, and he meets up with a bunch of rangers. Uh, from the north uh, that are like his old friends, you know, yeah. that he used to pal around with. Uh, and he, they come <laughs> to help him fight. And I thought that was cool. And they're not in the movie at all. It would have been cool just to see more rangers, I guess. Yeah, no, I think it Instead of just Aragorn. Um, and one of them reminds him about the path of the dead. Yeah. Elro here, who's like his best bud ranger friend. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, they switch that to Gandalf kind of says that to him at one point. Mm-hmm. He goes, your path is a different path or whatever and then later on uh it's uh, El- uh elrond shows up yeah basically and kind of plays the role that the rangers do in that he brings a thing to aragorn yeah, he, he brings aragorn a gift yeah and tells him the path of the dead that's do that. that's the thing you should do yeah paths of the dead yeah they just give that to elrond but uh the sons of elrond do show up with the rangers in the book yes not elrond though he's yeah. not there this is in this is in the movie, but it's in a very different place, and I think it makes more sense here in the book. Is that Aragorn uses the Palantir mm-hmm. to show Sauron the sword? Um, now, at this point in the book, he in the movie he would have just gotten the sword. Uh, so in the movie, he shows him the sword at the very end, right before they go to the gate. Yeah. I think it makes sense here because this is the reason him showing them the sword is part of the reason that Saruman, Sauron sends his army to attack. Yeah. Minas Tirith. Yeah. It's because he thinks he sees Aragorn is going there and is like, oh, I got to go get them because they're going to send the ring there and Aragorn is going to use the ring and, and stop this whole thing. Um, but he also in that in the Palantir, he shows him the sword so that he's wor- so that Sauron's worried. But he also sees the ships yes. in the Palantir and is like, I got to do something about that. And this is where the path of the dead thing. It's a little complicated. I will say that the book. It's a little convoluted and confusing about what is his motivations mm-hmm. and like what his goal is going through the path of the dead. Is his goal to recruit the dead or is it literally just to go that way because it's faster to get to the ships? I don't know in the book. In We're the movie, sure. again, I this is I found this very kind of confusing in the book. I wasn't sure what he what if he meant to with the expressed intent of recruiting the dead to go fight, or if he was just trying to get to the ships because he sees the ships and knows that they're going to get to Minas Tirith and before anybody else can get to him and they're just going to win everything. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is that he, cause I don't know how him Legolas and Gimli could possibly do anything about the ships by themselves. And well, him and the, I guess they had like 20 other Rangers with them or something. Yeah, they that, were with them that aren't in the movie, but yeah, it makes, I think the movie making it more clear that, like, yes, he's going there to get to have the dead fulfill their oath. 
mm-hmm. which he does do in the book. It's just doesn't I, I didn't get the vibe that that was his expressed intent originally, but I guess maybe it was. I don't know. I, I was a little confused by that whole thing. If you know more than me, then explain yeah, the, it to me. The, the parts with the, the dead re- fulfilling their oath, that was a little different in the book, too. And we'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. We, yeah, we had some uh, realizations <laughs> As yeah. we were listening to this, that we were, we were yeah. like, oh, that's not what I thought. Yeah, that's not what happened. Oh, okay. I thought that was what happened. Yeah. All right. Snowmane is a very cute name for a horse. Snowmane is an adorable <laughs> name for a horse. We find out in the book the name of uh, King Theoden's horse, which yeah. is Snowmane. Yeah. Which is a really cute name for a horse. It is. It's also not in the movie. Uh, in the book, Eowyn wants to come with Aragorn to the pass, uh, and she kind of does in the movie as well. She wants, well, she wants to, I can't remember. Yeah, she wants to come with them, I think. Yeah. Um, and he says no. Uh, in the book, he says <laughs> her duty is with her people mm-hmm. uh, because she was left in charge, uh, to be fair to him. You know, she was left in charge of uh, Edoras, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, and he's like, yeah, you, you're in charge here. You can't just leave. And she's, but my, one of my favorite moments is this. Uh, she's like, yeah, but I'm a shield maiden, so I want to go fight. <laughs> and on top of that, so here, 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 she she calls him out, and I think it's kind of mm-hmm. great. Uh, your duty is with your people, he answered. Too often I heard of, I've heard of duty, she cried. But I am not the, but am I not of the house of Aorl? Aorl, I can never pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Um, a shield maiden and not a dry nurse. I have waited on faltering feet long enough. Since they falter no longer, it seems, may I now, not now, spend my life as I will. Few may do that with honor, he answered. But as for you, lady, did you not accept the charge to govern the people until their lord's return? If you had not chosen, then some mar- if you had not been chosen, then some marshal or captain would have been set in the same place, and he would not ride away from his charge, were he weary of it or no. Shall I always be chosen, she said bitterly. Shall I always be left behind when the riders depart to mine the house while they win renown and find food and beds when they return? A time may come soon, said he, when none will return. Then there will be no need of valor without renown, for none shall remember the deeds that are done in the last defenses of your homes, yet the deeds will not be less valiant because they are unpraised. And she answered, all your words are but to say, you are a woman and your part is in the house. Boom. (laughs) Calls him out. I think it's a little more nuanced than that, maybe, but it's still fun. I still like because again, his whole point is like, well, you're, yeah, yeah, you're kind of here to take care of the people, but yeah, it it, it is. Everybody finds a million excuses for Aowen not to go fight. Yeah, <laughs> and she's kind of tired of it at this point, and I hear that, and I'm all about it. So she had a line there. Like, can I say that for a minute? Yeah, you still have that open. She had a line. I think it was here that I really liked. I don't know what line you're talking about. Oh, it's right after where you stopped. Um, She says, all your words are but to say, you are a woman and your part is in the house. But when the men have died in battle and honor, you have leave to be burned in the house, for the men will need it no more. Yeah. Um, Which I think just tacks on like this further idea of like, not only do you have to stay in the house, but once we're gone... Meh, we don't need the house anymore, so... In the book, it's mentioned when they finally do get to the Paths of the Dead that Legolas ain't scared of no man ghosts, (laughs) which I thought was funny. They literally, the book just says, Legolas went in because he's not scared of the ghosts of men. And I was like, all right, Which I think begs the question, would he be scared of the ghosts of elves? Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The company halted and there was not a heart among them that did not quail, unless it were the heart of Legolas of the elves for whom the ghosts of men have no terror. <laughs> okay. His superpower is not afraid of human ghosts. It's just Legolas things. <laughs> yeah. Can drink you under the table, can walk on snow, ain't afraid of no ghosts. That's Legolas. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. Brings down elephants with a single blow. Yeah. He's basically a tall tale. Yeah, he pretty much is. Um, there was a little detail that I don't believe made it in the I movie. Didn't I didn't notice it. See I looked it. for it a little um, bit. In but. the book, when uh, when the writers uh, of Rohan set up camp, um, Mary has a little hobbit-sized tent next to Theoden's tent. Yeah, because he has sworn his service to Theoden like he does in the movie, uh, and he, so he becomes the sword thane of of Theoden and he Mm -hmm. gives him a little hobbit sized tent next to his which they could have shown that in the movie would have been adorable yeah that would have been a really easy ad yeah why didn't you do that movie yeah uh so this (laughs) this was one of my favorite parts of the whole book we both laughed out loud listening to this moment uh because it is quite funny so there's a moment in the book and in the movie when they get to the the, the dead, uh, the way of the dead, the path of the dead. In the movie, they read, uh, Legolas reads an inscription or recites some tale. I think he might be reading an inscription over the door, and it says, The way is shut. It was made by the dead, and the dead keep it. The way is shut. In the book, however, that is a, they're telling a tale, and that yeah. was said by an old man in the tale. Yes. Um. So Mary has begged Theoden to tell him what the paths of the yeah. dead are because he keeps hearing people say it and he doesn't know, he doesn't what, it know is. what it is. Um, and finally, um, Theoden tells him the story, uh, which concerns um, Brego and his son Baldor. Yeah. Um, climbed the stair of the hold and so came before the door. Yeah. Um, and on the threshold sat an old man aged beyond years. Um, da 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 da. Um, and he says, the way is shut. Yeah. Uh, then they halted and looked at him and saw that he lived still, but he did not look at them. The way is shut, his voice said again. It was made by those who are dead, and the dead keep it until the time comes. The way is shut. And when will that time be, said Baldor. But no answer did he ever get. For the old man died in that hour and fell upon his face. <laughs> He just croaks over onto his face in front of them, which is hilarious. And fell upon his face. I think not intentionally, but it's so hilarious. And all I could think of when reading that is if you've seen, and I wonder if this is maybe inspired by a biblical thing or what, but there's a scene in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they get to where the, uh, the Holy Grail is being kept and it's being guarded by the last living... Uh, Templar brother or whatever mm-hmm. who helped who found the grail in the first place and I don't know how again how much of this is inspired by mythology or whatever yeah but uh, in the movie he they gets there and he's alive and it feels very similar it's this old guy sitting there and he they walk in and in the movie though he uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones they're they're like hello and he's sitting there and then they walk in and then he rises up and he's this old man and he swings a sword at him and misses, and then he swings it backwards to try to, to swing it at him again, and as he swings it back over his head, he just falls over backwards <laughs> because he's so old and can't hold the sword up anymore, and it reminded me of that <laughs> moment of this old man kind of guarding this ancient, you yeah. know, thing, and then just like, just like keeling <laughs> over. Um, 
And I was like, that's very similar. I wonder if there's some shared inspiration there or what, Maybe. what's going yeah, on. I don't I'm know. not sure. But yeah, fell upon his face. <laughs> so Rivaled only by a line um, much later in the book that we will discuss yeah. for my absolute favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a great line in the book that's not in the movie that Gandalf says that I thought was kind of just they and they, the movies do a really good job of incorporating sort of those like all of the best lines from the book, like mm-hmm. the one off lines that are usually buried in a bunch of other sentences. It's one of the things that movies are really, really good at is taking because every single conversation in the books is 10 times as long as it is in the movie. Yes. But the movies do a really good job of picking out. The most important four lines of dialogue and boiling a whole conversation down to those lines. And those lines are always like the most poignant, the most impactful. And one of those and one of the ones, though, that the movies don't uh, have, which I thought was interesting, uh, at least not exactly, is that Gandalf's discussing Gollum, I believe, or. I think it's called. I can't remember who he's discussing at this point. Probably Gollum. And he says, it may be said that a traitor may betray himself and do good that he does not intend. Uh, referring to, I think, Gollum in this instance. Mm-hmm. But um, it's one of those kind of lines that the movie has most of. They just don't happen to have this one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Wozes. Oh, I guess. <laughs> because now you put this in the, the better in the book section. Um, And I'm not sure I necessarily agree with you, so I'd like to hear your reasoning for putting this here. I only have it here because it's the only instance in the entire series of a protagonist that's not a white person. Fair enough. And I thought it was interesting, at least, that we get something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Wozes in the books, they're not in the movie at all, are these are, are a tribe of uh, some, we don't know exactly where they're from. They live or, somewhere between Rohan and Gondor yeah. in the woods, in the hills. Um, and they're, the, we, we talked about them in the prequel episode. They helped the Rohirrim. It's discussed that the Rohirrim uh, basically treated them as subhuman previously mm-hmm. and used to like hunt them and stuff. Uh, and all kinds of terrible things. Um, they're they're never their skin color is never described, but they're they're very much coded as some sort of indigenous type of people. Very much so. Where the the leader literally only wears a grass skirt around yeah. his waist. They use poison darts and they speak sort of in the uh, a broken English dialect yeah. or bro- whatever the Middle Earth equivalent of English is common or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. They speak um, like a pigeon version of the yeah. common tongue. Um, and it's definitely messy. I don't disagree. Yeah. Uh, it was that, kind of a yikes for me. I, I don't disagree with that. I think it's just interesting that, and, and maybe the movie could have done it better. Probably not than the book does it. <laughs> probably not based on the what we've seen with the hair drum and all that sort yeah. of thing. But I at least thought it was somewhat interesting that there's this other group who's who who are end up being there are good guys in the mm-hmm. context of the book. They help. Uh, our heroes they kill orcs mm-hmm. they fight the evil powers to some extent um and i just thought it was interesting again i think it i only haven't been in the book just because i thought they were interesting and i want to talk about i don't think it's i think it was probably wise to cut them in the movie probably mainly yeah. because the part that they fall in is unimportant mostly yeah they um they show up uh when the rohirrim are on their way from Ga- to, from to rohan Minas to Tirith. um and that though now the Wozes they don't like go and fight with them no but they show up and they help them get yeah there. they're like hey there's like a whole bunch of orcs on the road ahead of you um so if you go that way 
you know, you're probably going to lose half your force. So let us lead lead you you around through a route that they don't know about. Right. And yeah, and, and and so that whole thing's that plot that story's line's kind of irrelevant. I just thought it was interesting. It is messy. I don't disagree that they should have cut it. I just wanted yeah, yeah. the woeses. I would have liked to see the movie do a better job. Yeah. With with that element with those characters, but I think you're right. I don't think the movie. Yeah, I see no evidence made, necessarily yeah. to think that it would have been better. But I think if it was handled in a way that could be handled in a way. That was respectful, but also uh, maybe provided an interesting perspective. You could use them as a a sort of interesting uh, moral balance to where we see some truly bad things about our mm-hmm. heroes in this tale. Yeah. Oh, the Rohirrim used to slaughter these yeah. these indigenous people. Again, I, I say indigenous. We don't know how long right. or they're, when, but when, they're, yeah they're coded as like, like, a, like an indigenous people yeah and there are statues of them in the land that those statues in Durnhelm going up there apparently look like these people so i think they are supposed to be like an indigenous mm-hmm. people that the rohan kind of showed up and started killing them i think um and i think you could have some interesting commentary there about the rohan about and at least to give us some sort of like hey look our heroes aren't all just like golden haired great like woohoo white people yay you know what i mean (laughs) like we can have some commentary there about like oh but bad yeah they did bad things they still do bad things and i think if they had included them they potentially could have expanded their roles as well and had them go with and and help fight against that's what i mean yeah i think that's what i mean in that i think they potentially could have been done in a way again Probably not in these movies necessarily. Yeah. They don't really fix any of the gross, creepy, weird elements of, not yeah. creepy, but any of the weird element, the racial elements of the books at all. But if you were doing it nowadays, maybe with, uh, maybe it could have been done better. I think so. When Theoden dies, he dies in the movie in the book. I think the the book's version is interesting. I prefer the movies. I have this better in the book only because I think it's really interesting. In the book, mm-hmm. he dies without speaking to Eowyn. She, like, falls down injured and is uh, Theoden's talking to Mary, and they have a brief conversation, and then Theoden dies. Mm-hmm. Um, in this scene, I think there's some, in the book, there's some sadness that the movie lacks. By giving Theoden the conversation with Eowyn to kind of wrap up their like storyline he yeah. saw her fight he died in battle they get to have a moment together it's very neat and clean and it feels maybe in a book where already like Theoden's the only character we care about that dies I think maybe the the movie could use a, a little more uh, melancholia mm-hmm. in terms of the cost of battle and yeah. the cost of this whole thing uh, now, obviously, at the end, we get sort of more of the cost with Frodo having to leave and all that sort of stuff. But nobody dies that we care about. Right. Lots of people die. None of the named characters that we care about die other than Theoden. Yeah. And I think this scene not having Eowyn and Theoden get their moment together is sort of an added cost to the whole thing that makes it feel... No, I agree you with You know that. what I mean? And I think that they could have done it in... A really like bittersweet yeah. way like they could have had her like crawl a little bit and yeah. try to get over to him and then collapse right yeah that's what i mean and then and then you know and and then maybe give that moment to mary with it and at least to give us something i i just think eh, the movie kind of goes for a more traditional like sort of happy 
it, it's still yeah. bittersweet, but it, as happy as that moment could be kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the movies is a little more bitter than it is, or the books is a little more bitter than it is sweet. Yes. Uh, so we talked about Baragond earlier uh, and about how he's a thing. I thought this is interesting, or uh, he's a character in the book. I thought in the book it was interesting that uh, when, when, uh, Denethor is going to burn Faramir and himself. Mm-hmm. He goes into the Hall of the Kings or whatever. And Pippin says to Baragon, don't let, don't let, yeah, don't him let burn this happen. Them. Don't let this happen. And when we get back up, when he, Pippin goes and gets Gandalf and they get back up there, Baragon is like fighting off yeah. the, 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 the servants of Denethor to keep that from happening. I, again, I thought it would be interesting to have that other person in mm-hmm. Minas Tirith who's not Faramir or Bor or, uh, or Denethor, but. Yeah, I, I like that scene in the book. I think it's interesting and adds another wrinkle to that scene. But I, I, I guess I get it. Um, Actually, while we're here, I don't think we made a note about this, but I'm going to call this better in the book because the book does not have a scene where Denethor weirdly hallucinates a bad graphic oh, of Boromir. Oh, yeah, that was weird. And that's an extent. <laughs> that's an ex- So one of the things the problems with the extended cuts of the movies is that some of the scenes that are extended scenes and I feel like I noticed it more in this one than any of the other ones mm-hmm. that are the extended scenes definitely didn't get the third, fourth, fifth, sixth pass uh, on the on the CGI. Yeah. That like the main scenes get. So you get these crazy, beautiful uh, CGI creatures like Shelob and and Gollum <laughs> that are just to this day, even on DVD, still look yeah, Great. mind-blowing. Yeah, still look fantastic. And then... And then we have this moment where Denethor hallucinates Boromir behind Faramir, and it's the quickest rush job of a composite <laughs> of Boromir into the background that looks like I did it in an afternoon. Like, in, not even like an afternoon. <laughs> it looks like I did it in, like, ten minutes. Like, they it came and knocking like on my... It's like there's a cardboard cutout of Boromir, and then he starts moving. And it's and, and it's moving around. It, like, it, it's not moving with the camera in a way that yeah. makes sense. It's, like, floating. It's so strange and so and poorly like done. it's, like, a weird like size and different like yeah. distance in yeah. relation to Faramir. Yeah. Oh, it's it so very much looking. feels like an afterthought that they thought would be an interesting thing to do. And then they shot it and then they cut it. But they, they still, they did the very rough mm-hmm. first pass of putting it in there. And they were like, we're not nah. using this, cut it. <laughs> and then when they got through the extended edition, they're like, well, I guess we'll put that in. Should we fix it at all? <laughs> like, Ooh, it is not, not great. <laughs> not great um another thing uh to kind of go back to a uh, denethor trying to yeah uh, light everything on fire yeah um in the movie we see pippin pull faramir off the fire yeah um gandalf does this in the book which i thought made a little bit more sense he's a bigger stronger person yeah. potentially i will say that the movie did it differently than i remembered and so it's not as bad in the movie i some for some reason remembered pippin jumping up there and like lifting faramir's <laughs> body up and like jumping off of the pyre with them it's not what happens he just rolls them off of it which yeah. okay seems believable then so i was like a little more okay with it and giving pippin something to do in that moment i just had this weird memory in my head of him like like literally like fireman lifting he Faramir gets that, up. He gets that mom strength. Yeah. Like when moms lift cars off their kids. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but uh, I was I was like, okay, movie, never mind. I just somehow had this completely wrong sense of what happened in that moment. 
there is a great conversation about li- between Legolas and Gimli when they're talking about if Aragorn becomes yeah. king about how they're going to fix Minas Tirith. Yeah, after the battles won and everything, we see these two like walking through the city, and uh, Gimli's like, "Well, when when Aragorn's king, I'll hire um, an entire legion of dwarves to come and make the stone masonry so that it's more beautiful." And Legolas is like, "Well, I'm going to plant a bunch of gardens." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, gardens <laughs> and better stone, which, you know, okay, that's their characters, stones and trees. <laughs> we get it. Pretty much. Uh, when they get to the mouth of Sauron at the gate, uh, this happens in the movie, and we forgot about this. Uh, it's a deleted scene that we forgot about in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's in the extended edition. I knew they talked to the mouth of Sauron. I did not remember that he shows them Frodo's uh, ring, uh, Mithril, yes. which he does in the book as well. He also has some other stuff, but uh, this is in the movie. It's interesting. Uh, I think it's better in the the reason I haven't been better in the book or that we haven't been better in the book is because in the book, we don't know what happened to Frodo and Sam. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they are, in fact, dead in the book. And now we can assume they're not. Yeah. But the book ends because uh, this happens after Frodo gets taken away and th- seemingly dead. And then uh, Sam goes, oh, no, wait, he's alive and it's getting ready to go save him. But we now don't know. What yeah, the result of that is. Unlike the movie, the book doesn't go back and forth. No. So we haven't caught up with Sam and no. Frodo at all at no. this point in the book. So if you're just reading the book, you don't know anything about it. At this moment, you have no idea yeah. if they are okay or if they actually have been captured and they're dead. And Yeah, yeah, you know nothing. You're like, oh, well, okay, crap, this could be bad. Um, whereas in the movie, we know yes. that they're fine. Yeah. They've already escaped at this point, and it's it's no, it's meaningless kind of. Uh, um, and I then and then Gandalf has a great line. Yeah. Um, so the the mouth of Sauron offers them some uh, quote unquote peace terms. Yeah. Um, and then Gandalf says, "We'll, we'll take, take them." them. And, and everybody's t- like, "Wait, we'll take them? <laughs> yeah. What?" And then he grabs the stuff and says, "But we reject your terms." Yeah. He walks up, <laughs> takes the mithril and the other stuff. We reject your terms. He's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Gandalf with the fake out. <laughs> what a fake out. Yeah, nothing like that in the movie. We just get <laughs> Aragorn just cuts his head off in the movie, which is interesting, I guess. Oh, this is a thing that happens in the in the book that isn't again because we don't get the inner monologue of the characters mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, in the book, we get this 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 thing where Sam continuously after he's trying to go save Frodo because now we're back. Yes, we're now moving back to the Frodo Sam storyline. Uh, they're getting Sam going into Kirithungul to try to save. Um, Frodo, he grapples with whether or not he should use the ring, and he actually decides not to. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get him conquering that temptation. Part of that is he knows he's he knows that if he uses it here in Mordor, he's like he'll just find us. Like he yeah. he doesn't think he can use it, but also he but he still refuses the sort of um, temptation to use it, which is kind of an important thing element of Sam's character. Um, and we get these in the movie, the three headed watchers, but they don't yeah, do we the do same see them, thing, but they don't do anything in the book. They like fr- somehow freeze you, which I guess would be yeah. hard to maybe show in the movie. Yeah, you'd have to do some sort of effect. I or mean, something. And it was a little like vague in the book, exactly like what they were doing and yeah. what their power was and where it came from. Yeah. It seems like if you weren't an orc, they like just keep there's like some sort of force field that keeps yeah. you from coming in through the gate to yeah. this tower. 
um because sam can't do it but yeah. then he's able to use the file the the, the light of a lindial or whatever to, yeah, to like break it yeah and but once inside. he goes through they make like <laughs> a, like a screeching they set off like noise. an alarm yeah and, and i love sam has lines like oh now i've rung the doorbell which <laughs> it's fun sam even in that moment of just utmost dire stakes sam still cracking a joke um so <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. Um there's a, a lot that's similar once he uh gets inside. Yeah. Um there are dead orcs everywhere cuz yeah, they've cause all a big they, fight yeah, big fight. They've all out. killed each other. Um but he can't find Frodo and he's been running around and going up and down all the stairs, can't find him. Um and he finally he's feeling hopeless and he sits down and he starts to sing. Yeah. Cuz he doesn't know what else to do. He's like, "Well, yeah. And what else do you do in a Tolkien book but sing? When you sing right. <laughs> Nothing else to do but sing. Um, and that actually ends up being what saves the day. Yeah. Though, because like the one last orc yeah, who's there. left in the place. Hears him. Hears him and comes running and he's able to see where Frodo is and yeah. how to get to him. Yeah. Because the the, 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 the the orc that comes thinks it's Frodo singing mm-hmm. and goes to check on Frodo. And it turns out he had a secret ladder that helps him get up to the, like the hold yeah. where Frodo is. And then Sam is able to follow up the ladder. Yeah. Um, and save Frodo. And I just thought it was interesting. Uh, and I thought it made a lot of sense for mm-hmm. Tolkien for this moment that in <laughs> when all else is lost, he sits down, he sings a song and it saves the day. I get why the movie didn't do it, <laughs> the but the power of song is like could be Tolkien's subtitle for this whole series. <laughs> Another little detail that the book mentions that the movie doesn't that just makes a lot of sense. And I'm not sure why they never mentioned this is that as they're Frodo and Sam get out of the tower and they're going to make their way to Mount Doom. Uh, they <laughs> Frodo mentions that uh, before he left Rivendell, Gandalf and Elrond showed him maps of yeah. Mordor, which is like, oh, so that's because I always thought it was weird. Like, how in the world did they expect him to right? get anywhere? Like, you know, but no, they had maps and they showed him these maps of like, this is what Mordor this, looks like. This is what it looks like. You can kind of go this when you get in, go, you know, you'll see these things go here. So he at least has some reckoning of where he needs to go and that sort of thing in Mordor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, just towards the big volcano, but still, they give him some other information that I thought oh, that was interesting. <laughs> uh, they do it. They succeed. All of that intervening stuff we have in other segments. Mm-hmm. Um, but after they succeed, they do get a nice little celebration meal with Aragorn. Yeah, um, Sam the, and Frodo feast. have their uh, have their own little sit down with Aragorn to celebrate just them, yep. just the ring bearers. Yep. Um, and we find out that Gimli rescued Pippin off of the the battlefield. Battlefield. Yeah. Um, the field of Cormallon is that's the one. Pelennor or Cromallon. No, There's Kermit's two fields. The second I don't know. one. Yeah, it's sure. Cromallon. Could be that one. Um. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's the second one outside the Black Gate. Right. Yes. Because when uh book five ends, it ends with like Pippin underneath and, yeah, and falling down yeah. and hearing eagles and like, huh? But yeah. we don't know if he survived or not. Yeah. So we find out later that uh, Gimli, Gimli, saved him. Gimli found him. Is that um, what happens in the movie? I don't remember. It's kind of similarly set up to when Pippin finds Mary mm-hmm. in the movie. But I, I think I put it in here because I thought it was funny because Gimli is able to find him because his hobbit foot is sticking out. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. like a pile of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
we also get some closure to um, earlier, much earlier in the two towers. Yeah. Aomer and Gimli had a disagreement about Galadriel mm-hmm. um, and about um, her being the most beautiful woman to ever exist. And Aomer's like, she's pretty, but Arwen, though. <laughs> Is, so he's into brunettes, I guess. I guess the, so. <laughs> the moral of that story is Aomir prefers brunettes. Gimli's more of a blonde guy, so <laughs> fair enough. Um, and then, I love this in the book that the movie doesn't do. They may have done this. They remember, because I had that one... They shot scenes in mm-hmm. the I had this in the prequel episode. They shot scenes for the movie that was like an epilogue that showed us what happened to the fellowship after. Yes. And so they may have done this. They may have shot this, but it never shows up in any of the movies or even in the extended cut. But in the book, Legolas and Gimli take their brocation together. They go visit the caves at Helm's Deep uh, mm-hmm. and they go into Fangorn and and enjoy their time together, which is nice. That they get yeah. to take their vacation together yeah. and go see each other's uh, favorite places. <laughs> Gotta love that bromance. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, in the book, Arwen gives Frodo a white gem on a chain that allegedly like chases away his PTSD. Yeah, it's kind of similar. It feels similar to like the light of a Lindiel. Yeah, it's like when all yeah. the lights go out. You know, just take this. Take this necklace, it'll make you feel better. Kind of a security blanket. Yeah, and I wonder if it's supposed to be, if that's where they got the idea for the necklace from. Oh, no, because they get, we talked about that. He does get that pin or whatever yeah. uh, Aragorn does. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, they meet Saruman on the road. Right, because in the book, he's not dead yet. Yeah, he's not dead yet. Uh, my favorite thing about this scene is he just steals Mary's tobacco and yeah. walks away. <laughs> This is a little thing. He just takes it and just walks away. And they're like, hey. <laughs> He's like, screw you. This leaves. I'm like, all right. Um, and then as we are getting back closer to the Shire, we arrive at Bree. And who do we see but Bill the Pony? Survive. Still alive. We know what happened to Bill. And he's all shaggy now. Yeah. So I talk about how his hair's all shaggy now. (laughs) But uh, he's been on a rough road, but he survived when they let him go. And outside the mines of Moria, he made it home, made it back. And uh, Sam is reunited with him, which, again, that does not. I'm surprised they didn't do that in the movie. It seems like it would have been an easy thing to like. And then he gives Bill Fernie the boot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf goes to see Tom Bombadil, mentions it. He's like, I'm going to go see Tom. We're going to talk about all the stuff. Yeah. Okay. Again, (laughs) I get it's not obviously not in the movie because we don't know who the heck Tom Bombadil is. Oh, there could be a line. He could be like, I'm going to go chat with Tom Bombadil. And they're like, what? And everyone Ooh. who's never heard of Tom Bombadil would be like, what? <laughs> okay. If you say so. <laughs> if you say so, Gandalf. Uh, and everybody, after the scouring of the Shire is solved, everybody is super happy yes, except for are. a few people. And those people. This is my other favorite thing. This is a pretty great. I'll let you take it if you want to find it in yeah, the book and it. read. Um, because they do a really good job of putting the Shire back together. Because uh, yeah. Sam uses the dirt that Galadriel gave yes. him. Um, and the Shire gets its own Lothlorien tree mm-hmm, as Which well. I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, and, let's see. And no one was ill, and everyone was pleased, except those who had to mow the grass. Yeah, because there's a lot of grass to cut <laughs> now. Because everything's growing like crazy. Everything's growing like gangbusters. And boy, do I know that feel. <laughs> Cutting grass is not not a lot of fun, but yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> it is funny. It was another one of those lines we laughed out loud at yeah. when we were listening to it. And finally, 
in the book, Bilbo has tried a lot of titles for his his mm-hmm. book series, and he crosses them all out. I don't know if you have <laughs> the page there, because there are some interesting ones. Uh, in the movie, we just see the two titles that they land on, which is uh, There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Tale, and The Lord of the Rings. Yes. Although it's longer in the book. It's not just The Lord of the Rings, but it's like The Fall of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, let's so see. So here's all the titles. Um... The title page had many titles on it, crossed out one after the other. So, My Diary, My Unexpected Journey, There and Back Again, and What Happened After, Adventures of Five Hobbits, The Tale of the Great Ring compiled by Bilbo Baggins from his own observations and the accounts of his friends, What We Did in the War of the Ring. Here Bilbo's hand ended and Frodo had written, the downfall of the Lord of the Rings yeah. and the return of the king. Yeah. So it's actually longer. It's not just the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But still. All right. So that's where that also that is where an unexpected journey, the first subtitle of the Hobbit movies. Yes. The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. That's probably where they got that from. Yeah. Unless it's mentioned in the Hobbit, which it might be. It might be. But anyways, that was all we had for better in the book. Lots of good stuff. Time for better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson Hugo and not the one I thought it would happy endings only happen in the movies um so the movie makes a great choice we talked about this before, yes, but yes to pull something out of fellowship mm-hmm. which is Smeagol's backstory yes the downfall of Smeagol yes because we actually learned that um, Gandalf relays his entire backstory to Frodo pretty early in fellowship. while they're still before yeah. they ever leave yeah, set before out to Rivendell he even sets out um, but I, I think it was a good choice to move it yeah. here. Save it for us. Give it to us here in a moment where we're at a time where we've already met Smeagol mm-hmm. or where we've already met Gollum. Guess we've met them both. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we kind of and to give us this backstory to make us see this character that we already know in a new light mm-hmm. is an interesting uh, interesting choice. I think it makes a lot of sense as opposed to just having it front loaded at a time where we don't know who this character is or what any of this means. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Move it, move it to the beginning of this movie. Really smart choice. Uh, the only problem I had with it while we were watching, I was like, I feel like Andy Serkis as Smeagol sounds maybe too much like Gollum already. Yeah. A little bit. Mainly only in comparison to how his friend, a Deagle sounds, or his brother yeah, or whatever. He sounds totally normal. He sounds like a totally, <laughs> just like a gen, any of the hobbits do. And then Smeagol still sounds mostly like Gollum, except slightly less like gargly and creepy, mm-hmm. but not a lot. <laughs> There's a weird thing in the book that didn't make any sense to me is that after the, the, um, the, the the treants attack Isengard. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they wait like a couple days to flood it. Yeah. Which is like in the movie, why? they just again, this is at the end of Two Towers. We're going to have some of that here where they go up and they just immediately pull the dam down and flood it. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, OK, sure. Fine. Makes sense. And I don't I never understood why they did that. Um, but now that was the only note I had from uh <laughs> From the two towers, but back to Lord of the or Return of the King. Um, because you know what's not in the book, yeah, it's in the movie. Uh, Legolas and Gimli's drinking game, yeah, where we find out that Legolas can drink anybody under the yeah. table, just Legolas things, yeah, just Legolas things. Uh, a change I really like is that when uh, they when um, he goes and attacks. Sorry, when uh, Frodo and Sam are in Shelob's lair mm-hmm. in the book, we just. 
realize eventually that Frodo has been stung. Yeah. After he kind of gets uh, wrapped up and left on the ground or whatever. I don't even know if he's it's described as being wrapped up or not. I can't remember. But in the movie, we actually get to see Shelob sting Frodo, which I think just makes sense. Again, yeah. for, for whatever reason, the book just doesn't make it clear that that's what happened at first until we later we find out. I don't know why. It just seems weird. I just just show us the movie again. And then I don't know. I think it just makes sense. The movie uh, lets us have a goodbye between Pippin and Mary. Yeah. When when, when Pippin sets off for Gondor. Yeah. And um, it's a very heartfelt goodbye that we don't. Mm-hmm. The, and it just seems to make sense to me. In the book, they just part without really saying anything to each yeah. other, which seems strange because, yeah. again, they're like best friends. Uh, and it, it may be played up a little more in the movie than even it is in the book. But I still think it just makes a lot of sense. And it's a very it really sets the stakes, uh, especially because and it also establishes even just a little bit more of their characters where Mary is a little bit more mature than Pippin and sees what's going on mm-hmm. where Pippin's like, well, we'll see each other again. Right. And Mary's like, eh, maybe. <laughs> And it's just, it's heartbreaking, but it also, uh, it, it makes you go, oh shit, yeah. things are going to get rough. Yes. Um, we also get more Arwen stuff yeah. in the movie, which we talked about We talked about a little, about bit. A little bit, yeah. This is a change that I really prefer in the movie. Uh, when Gandalf and Pippin show up to Gondor in the books, mm-hmm. the beacons are already lit. Yes. As they're writing in, they're like, oh look, the beacons of Gondor are lit. They're already calling for help. Um... I think I prefer uh, Denethor's stubbornness in the movie, his like refusal to ask people for help. I think it adds uh, it also adds that he knows that Aragorn is with Theoden and he thinks Gandalf wants him to call Rohan partially so that Aragorn can come and claim the throne. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I know that I know I see more than you think. I know Aragorn's out there and that you. Yeah, I'll call for Rohan. They'll show up and just so happened. Oh, the king's with them. Oh, hey, like that sort of thing, because um, I feel like. Movie Denethor and book Denethor are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Movie Denethor's t- dialed up his sort of distrust, his his uh, like ugh, uh, sliminess and creepiness, mm-hmm. and and he's not quite to the level he is in the movie in the book. Like in the book Denethor's a little more reserved, a little more level headed until the end when he kind of snaps. Um, like I said, he does call for aid. He just Ask Rohan for help. He both has the beacons lit, which we assume is probably to call the nearby people in. Yeah. And he also sends an emissary to Rohan later um, with a, an arrow to call f- to get them to help. And so I think that all just makes sense. Uh, I, I think I just prefer in the movie that he doesn't want to ask for help. Yes. He's he it, it fits with his fatalist like there is no hope. What you know, that's just who Denethor is. I think expanding that part of his character in the movie really works, mm-hmm. uh, and they do it with all the characters. But I think it uh, where they just kind of pick the thing that they are and dial that up. The only one I don't love it with is Faramir, really, mm-hmm. but I like it with everybody else mostly. And so I, I prefer that uh, he doesn't light the beacons, plus, then Pippin gets to light them, and we get the dope ass. Beacon lighting it's a, it's scene. Pretty dope scene. <laughs> Where they're lighting the beacons from mountaintop to mountaintop. It's really cool. I also always wondered if anybody knows the math on this, how long it would take to say if you did that, if you had them spaced out on mountaintops or whatever, how long it would take if you lit the fire, like say three, four hundred miles. I don't know how far it is from Go, uh, Gondor to Rohan, but let's say a couple hundred miles. 
let's say like 200, 300 miles, how long would it take after you lit that first fire to, for them to see it in the, in the final place? I don't know. I feel like it would be quick. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it could be pretty quick. But I never know. Like, assuming that everything went to plan and everybody was, like, waiting at their station. Yeah, and the fires lit quickly or whatever. You know, they had, like, a good kindling and maybe, like, some sort of oil or something on them to make them really glow up. And it wasn't, like, super foggy or something. Right. There's all kinds of problems. But let's say it's a clear day all across those 200 miles, which is not outlandish, you know, to have a clear day for a couple hundred miles. I feel like it could be less than an hour, but I don't know. I don't know and I want to know. If somebody knows and can figure that out, let me know. Um, There's kind of a, a funny-ish moment. It's just, again, with Denethor's character yeah, dialing it's a, up. Yeah, his... it's a character moment for Denethor um, after Pippin swears his oath where he makes Pippin kiss his ring. Yeah. And it's just, it's just because Pippin looks at him like, wait, okay, sure. And then kisses <laughs> his ring. It's just one of those things that's, I think perfectly in character with movie Denethor and yeah. kind of in with book Denethor uh, of just his sort of his obsession with his power and his throne or his it's not a throne, but kind of. You but know, he wants it. To he be. wants it. His obsession with with maintaining his rule of Gondor mm-hmm. uh, and just those little things of like, you know, that, that sort of weird little abuses of power that are meaningless but also yeah. like just why okay sure I, I i really like that and that's not at all in the book i'm pretty sure i don't remember it at least we decided ultimately that we i think we prefer and like or at least like the addition of Golem golem tricking frodo into sending samway mm-hmm. um so that's a movie ad like we talked about and was that in the book uh i think it makes a lot of sense i think it falls perfectly in line with Gollum's character, like it, it's he he doesn't like Sam. He kind of likes Frodo, and he wants he knows he can because Frodo has the ring. That's all he's interested in. He knows he can also kind of trick Frodo and maybe yeah. get him to get him the ring. I think it makes sense to have him sort of scheme to get Sam to Fro- Frodo to kick Sam out of there because Sam's the only one who can kind of see through. Yeah, Sam's on to Gollum and Gollum yeah. knows it. Yeah, so that that whole storyline makes sense to me, and I also like that it it gives it gives Sam just another moment of heroism to 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 be told to leave by Frodo. He's given an excuse. To not go through with this. He's given yeah. an excuse to go home, basically. Yeah. Frodo said, nah, get out of here. I mean, if he was a lesser person, he could have been like, all right, fine. And just, you know, taken off back to the to, to Gondor or, you know, back home to Rivendell or whatever. Um, but he doesn't. He decides to turn around and go save Frodo anyways. Which, again, just adds another layer of heroism mm-hmm. to Sam. I also think it just adds, it's very heartbreaking as an audience member watching. Yeah, some emotional stakes. There. Watching Frodo kick sam out is it's sad um so in the book um okay in the movie let me preface it with this we have elrond bringing um the sword reforged andrew flame of the west reforged from the swords of nasil so he brings that to aragorn yeah um in the book the rangers bring him a standard a battle flag yes because he already has the sword in the book yes which was made by arwen we prefer the sword i yes definitely both prefer the sword it's just more dramatic Mm -hmm. the battle standard is fine again this is we talked about this i think it makes sense with all the changes they make to aragorn that i i like uh giving him sort of the reluctant leader role 
uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But I, I think giving him the sword as the thing at the moment where he finally takes up, literally takes up the sword mm-hmm. um, to become king and decides to do it. Uh, also, it's just a more f- cool, like, fantasy action-y thing to have the sword be the thing. And, I mean, it is the sword that that defeated Sauron the first time. Like, yeah. it's the thing. It's, yeah, it is the thing. Uh, whereas this battle standard made by Arwen that's, like, basically, uh, it's it's the symbol of the king of Elisar. It's, it's Aragorn as the return of the king. His, like, it's the tree with the stars above it uh, because he's, mm-hmm. he's elven star. What Elven Stone or whatever. Yeah. It's like some reference to his eight million titles or whatever. <laughs> and that's his battle standard. And so like he he unfurls it and it's oh and the king. Ooh. But it's like the sword is that. And the movie knows or the books know it's that because he pulls it out in the first in, in two towers and shows mm-hmm. it to like Aomir and then is like, look, this is Andrew Flame of the West. I'm the king. And they're like, oh shit. So, like, yeah, just make that the thing. We don't need this battle standard. It yeah. does show up in the movie eventually, yeah. just kind of mm. it's there. It's just there. Mm. But uh, I, the sword's so much cooler. No, it really is. Um, well, we already talked about why he goes to the pass. I don't understand that. Yeah. If it, I, I'm still not sure, even in the movie uh, or in the book, I wasn't sure if it's for haste or if it's to get the dead or why he's going exactly why he's going through the path in the movie. It's just very clear. The dead are there. Mm-hmm. Go get them. We need their help. Kind of. And then you can go and get the ships basically. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. I get it. It's just a little more confusing to me in the books. Maybe I'm just dumb, but no, it is. It is not very clear yeah. in the books. It's a lot more streamlined um, and obvious what's going on. In the movie. Which isn't always good, but I think in this instance, I think it just makes more sense. It yeah. just feels better. Well, and the concept of like a ghost army who's held there by an oath is already kind of a weird concept. So I think yeah. like making that plot point a little bit clearer is a yeah. good choice. Yeah. Uh, this is a great line. Um, it's in the book. It's inspired by a line in the book. Eowyn says, they do not suffer the living to pass. Mm-hmm. Talking about in the, in the the dead in the in the mountain, and Aragorn says they may suffer me to pass. His response yes. to her because he's the king, and that's in the book. Uh, but way better version of it in the movie. They don't have that conversation in the movie. What does happen in the movie is they get inside. He confronts and he's talking to the dead, and the king of the dead is there, and he's like, "We do not suffer the living to pass." And Aragorn, in response, says. You will suffer me, which is so <laughs> badass, <laughs> so badass, <laughs> so much cooler. Again, it's inspired by a book line and yes. the movie does this. The movies do this so well, consistently taking those lines, tweaking them. We talked about it in a fellowship. You cannot pass versus you shall mm-hmm. not pass. Little things like that. Uh, we have another one coming up here very shortly that the movie changes. That is uh, just slight change that makes it so much more impactful and much more of a dramatic moment than some of the the book moments are. I thought this was kind of confusing again with the dead. This whole thing with the dead is kind of confusing and just, I feel like it's, it's not really well described at least to me. I, I had a hard time understanding what was happening all the time, mm-hmm. which may be intentional. I don't know. But so they pass through the cave in the book and the dead follow them. Legolas at one point says we're, they're following us. The dead are following us. And yeah. they go through the cave and Aragorn says, we got to get to this stone. 
And then they get to this stone and then Aragorn turns around and goes, I'm the king. Help me. Help us. And they're like, and we assume they say, okay, or whatever. Yeah. And then they go onward and the, the dead follow them. In the movie, it makes way more sense to me that they get into the mountain they and they just confront and talk to the dead yeah. there. That's where they are. That's I like. And it's not clear. Like, what is what about the stone? What's the is, significance like, of it? Yeah. He needs to get there. Yeah. To actually talk to them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just felt like in the movie, it made a lot of sense that he mm-hmm. goes in, the dead show up and he confronts them and has the conversation and says, help, help us. Yeah. So, OK. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned earlier, too, that in the book, all of the rangers yeah. also go down the paths of the dead with Aragorn. Yeah. Um, I like it better with just those main three yeah. in yeah. the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I just wish the rangers showed up. They could have yeah. could have not come yeah. there. They could have went to the totally. main battle or whatever. But, yeah, they don't need to go into the caves with them. Uh, we talked about how the the. Uh, 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 Denethor does actually, in fact, call for aid right away mm-hmm. um, to Rohan. Uh, he sends Higorn of Gondor, shows up with a red arrow to summon Rohan. Again, the red arrow, it's like this grave symbol uh, of need. Uh, I didn't at the time understand what the heck the point of the beacons was then that were already lit. I think in retrospect, what it actually is, is that the beacons, and I, like I said, were to signal the people near Gondor. Yeah. The, the, the outlying villages and people hey come help whereas this arrow because they're far enough away this arrow he sends with an emissary that's how he's going to ask rohan for help i get that now in retrospect i still prefer the beacons in the the movie it's just way cooler um beacons are better than red arrow yeah the only downside to this is that uh, or sorry, and the other thing about this that's really good is that in the movie, once he does, once the uh, Theoden finally does decide that he's going to help Gondor, he has a great line that's not in the Amazing book. Amazing line. Great line. Aragorn sees the beacon, he breaks through the door and says, Gondor calls for aid! And Theoden responds, and Rohan will answer. It's great. Everybody looks at him and they're like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? And Rohan will answer. Oh, so badass. Theoden gets all the best lines, though. Oh, he really does. He has, in the mo- especially in the movies, yeah. he has great lines in the book, too. But they even give him some of the better lines that, like, Aomir and stuff have. Yeah. In the in the book, they give him to Theoden. I guess because that actor just does a good job just with the it. the delivery. It's yeah. just chef's yeah. kiss. It's very good. Um, and, uh... This uh, the thing that I like about this. We'll talk. Let's talk about Mary and Eowyn in the book yeah. versus the movie. Yeah. So in the book, Mary wants to go to battle. Theoden won't let him. Same thing happens in the movie. Yeah. He's like, no, it's not your place on the battlefield. And Eowyn totally gets this. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's the same. It's yeah. the same. They're kind of the same tale there that they want to go fight, but they're being told they can't by everybody else. And so uh, it, it makes sense that she picks him up and takes him to battle. And this is exactly the same thing that happens in the book as in the movie. She picks him up and says, let's go. The only difference, it's a fairly <laughs> big difference, is that in the book, Mary does not realize that it's Eowyn. Yeah. And we as an audience are sort of misled to think that it's some just random soldier mm-hmm. named Dernhelm. Yeah, she tells him to call her Dernhelm. Yeah, and he says there's a, he has like a line about how he something about the glint in their his eye, his yeah. being Eowyn's eye, uh, is familiar. familiar or something like that. But that's like the extent of the clues that we get about that. 
Um, and so Dernhelm is, but I talked about this in a prequel episode. Peter Jackson was like, we decided to make that change. One, we're not going to fool the audience no. into not realizing that that's, that that's Eowyn. Yeah. So we're just going to have that. And then also Mary would look like an idiot if he didn't realize it was her. So they just <laughs> made it clear that she's hiding from the rest of the army. Yeah. And they don't notice because, again, that, you know, they're not looking closely. It's just one of the hundreds of thousands of writers. Fine. Um, but for us as an audience, yeah, we know it's Eowyn. Mary knows it's Eowyn. Moving on. <laughs> and I think that makes sense because otherwise Mary's a giant idiot. So Denethor asks Pippin to sing. Yeah. Um, and we get the the same line, right? Uh, yeah, very much. Yeah. Uh, he asked Pippin to sing in the he does this in the book and the movie. He says, do you have do your people have songs? Uh, and Pippin says, yes, well enough for my own people. But we have no songs fit for great halls or evil times, which is yeah. what he says in both. Um, so the difference here is that in the movie, he actually does sing. Yeah. A bit um, for Denethor. Um, and then there were a couple of things here that are just like really cool, this, like the way this is shot. The scene is is kind of brilliant, I think, and one of the better just done scenes in in all of the movies in terms of the sound mix, the 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 editing, um, everything about it. Because we get it, Pippin starts singing this kind of sad sounding song, and this is right as Denethor sort of orders Faramir to go try to take back Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. And we get, we're interspersing these cuts of Faramir and all of the gone, uh, the army, the whatever soldiers he's mustered to go with him to try to take back Osgiliath, um, running towards Osgiliath yeah. and back and Pippin, like the only sound effects we're getting are Pippin singing some hoofbeats and the sounds of Denethor eating. And it's like him chewing and chomping on stuff and it's gross. But then there's this sad song that Pippin is singing over it. And then you have the hoofbeats of the impending sort of doom of this. And mm-hmm. you can see it on all the soldiers' faces. And 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 you get some of the... And then we cut and you see the, the, the orcs in the city. We see like one orc and then it cuts back. And then we cut back to the orcs and there's like dozens of them. Like the archers pull up their bows. and And then it finally cuts... Uh, you hear all the bows go and then it cuts back to Denethor right as he takes a big bite of a tomato or something and the juice runs down his chin and it's red but we don't see the outcome but we know what happened it's just brilliantly done filmmaking it's one of my favorite it's it's a it's not I mean there's so many scenes I love in all these movies Mm -hmm. but in terms of just the mastery of how of, of how that scene is edited and mixed and everything about it I think is so good and I love so much about it and apparently it wasn't even going to be in the movie uh, until one of the writers was like, hey, Pippin, that actor can actually sing. We yeah. should do something with him singing. And then, boy, <laughs> one of the best scenes in all the movies came out of it. So um, so there's a little bit of a difference between the book and the movie when Faramir comes back, quote unquote, dead. Yeah. Um, there's a battle in the book that the movie cuts which I think makes a lot of sense yeah. um, to cut a battle there. It's like this big epic retreat yeah. from Asgiliath. Um, but I get why the movie cuts it, because you're about to have an even bigger battle. The battle so. Minas Tirith is about to happen. Yeah. Why have a small battle yeah. right there? Yeah. In the movie, we just get Faramir being drugged back into the city with mm-hmm. arrows in him, which works. It's the exact same outcome. And for budget reasons and so many other pacing and everything else, yes. it just makes sense. We don't need another like mini battle right there. So 
One of the things that's really interesting in the book, and I actually think it works really well, is that the book consistently ends a chapter at, uh, like, say, let's say uh, the, the chapter starts at point A and ends at point B. And then the next chapter will begin back at point A on the timeline at a different place. Yes. So wherever the last chapter started, now we're starting there again. But where the Rohan, what, whatever with, so whatever the Rohan, Rohirrim were doing in that moment, we're back to them. So like at the end of this chapter, one of these chapters, we get Pippin at the gate of the city. Everything seems like it's lost. And then they hear the horns of Gondor. Yeah. And then the next chapter starts and we're back to where the Rohirrim are about to leave to head to Gondor. Yeah. And we see their whole thing take place. And then that chapter ends where they blow their horns and they're getting ready to charge and save Gondor. I think it actually works really well in the book. It's interesting. Like Mm -hmm. it's fine. What I think the movie, the benefit of the movie uh, and of of film storytelling in general, in this instance is you get to tell the stories in parallel. Uh We get to cut and we've talked about this a lot, but you get to cut between everything that's happening. We get to see Gondor get ready and then we cut to the battle and then we cut back and Gondor's there and we don't need to like have a flashback to them getting ready to get there because mm-hmm. we've already been watching that happen. It's just a the, it helps the pacing. Mm-hmm. It helps uh, it helps it helps sort of the immediacy of everything that's happening and it just works really well. Yeah. And that the only thing it it's just a better thing in the movie. is our ability to organize our notes. Yeah. It makes our note taking very difficult, but it uh, it's 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 a more pleasurable viewing experience for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned it, but they the movie makes a decision to cut um, Rohan's whole trek over to Gondor, yeah, um, which it was a good choice. I think we talked about the Wozes. That's maybe the only potentially unfortunate loss there, yeah, and that's potentially, potentially with a capital yeah. P, yeah, because um, they are messy. Um, but yeah, I think that was a, a good cut, an economical cut that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we get the big speech when Rohan gets there. And this it's like identical in the book as it is in the movie. It's fantastic. Um, but the biggest difference is that in the book, Aomir gets one of the best lines of it later. So in the book... Theoden's big speech before they go into battle. He says, arise, arise, riders of Theoden. Fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter. Spear shall be shaken, shield be splintered. A sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. Which is word for word yeah, the speech he gives about, in the yeah. movie. The only difference is that he also says, ride now, ride for ruin, and the world's ending, which is a fucking badass line. And now that is in the book, but it happens later after Theoden dies. Mm-hmm. Aomir leads another charge of like because they're they're all fired up that their king's dead, and he like leads a f- yeah. freaking like uh, a crazy charge into the enemy, and he says it then. And I think just g- giving it to Theoden. In yeah. that moment, that's Having like it in that moment when they're all lined up and waiting for the battle to start. It's the coolest moment. I still got chills in the book in that moment uh, listening to it. Mm-hmm. I got the chills that I get watching the movie when they're giving he's giving that speech because the guy doing the audio book does a great job with it. And I still got those chills that I get in the movie. But no ride for ruin in the world's ending was a mistake because they had crushes that speech. <laughs> 
Um, something that happens in the movie that I had actually never noticed I didn't either about before this. that this I thought was I thought it was an interesting like kind of cool detail to yeah. add um, when Eowyn and Mary are riding around the battlefield and everything is just super chaotic. Yeah, um, she rides under an oliphant, an oliphant, um, and. He watches her take her double swords and slash the knee tendons yeah. out, and that's what brings it down. Yeah. And then later on, he does the same thing to the Witch King. Yeah. So yeah. he watched her do that and was like, aha, and learned. Yeah. No, and it's then a, does it. It's a brilliant, that was a brilliant uh, observation that I never noticed either, and I didn't even think of it this time. You brought it up, and I was like, oh, that's really clever. Because, yeah, it's... It's Mary's not uh, a, a, a yeah. He doesn't know how to fight. Yeah, he doesn't know how to fight. And uh, so seeing her bring down this much larger opponent, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, in this moment where he because this is what happens in the book. He does that in the book. Yeah. The, but there is no setup in the movie of her doing this to a, an oliphant or anything like that. Um, but in the book, he does stab her, uh, the uh, witch king in the back of the knee, which causes him to fall down. Like exactly how it does in the movie, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting yeah. observation that he sees that and then does the it's same like, thing. Oh, I can I can take him out at the knees, right in the knee, boom. I'm already at knee level. It's yep. perfect. It's perfect. There's a little moment in the movie that's not in the book that I thought it's just a, it's a great little moment uh, where they're they're Gandalf and Pippin are behind a high gate in the city, and there's a giant troll or ogre or whatever trying mm-hmm. to bang through the gate. And we cut inside the gate and they're sitting there. Uh, it's like the quiet before the storm. And Pippin's talk is, is talking about being scared and and about dying. And Gandalf kind of has this moment where he talks to him about how uh, death and what happens. And it's very beautiful. And I, I think it's just this very it's it's a pacing wise. It's a great little moment in the film of quietude. Yeah. And, and uh, a little connection between these two characters that we don't get a ton of. Um, and we get to see Gandalf uh, sort of f- be a very fatherly to Pippin in this moment. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's it's a, a nice, nice moment. It's a nice, like, quiet moment amidst all the chaos. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Eowyn's lines. Your sister brought it up. Yeah. She brought it up. So let's talk about it. The line that your sister wanted to know if it was in the book is, mm-hmm. I am no man before Eowyn stabs yes. the Witch King and kills him. The answer we gave was that yes, basically. Yeah, uh, kind and of. now there kind of is, here but not exactly. So here's what happens in the book. Then Mary heard of all sounds in that hour the strangest. It seemed that Durnhelm laughed, and the clear voice was like the ring of steel. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman. Eowyn am I, Eomun's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Begone if you be not deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. So, so she says quite a bit more. Says quite a bit. And the actual line there that she says is, for I am no living man. Yes. And it's well early in the speech. And then a lot of stuff happens after that. And then eventually she stabs him. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie's version Again, the movie just always do almost always just do a good job of this, of taking that moment and amping it up just to the and cutting all trimming all the fat of it Mm -hmm. and just giving us the best moment of it where no man can kill me. I am no pulls off the helmet. I am no man. Face stab. (laughs) It's yeah. (laughs) 
no man can kill me. Well, guess what, bitch? Yeah. It's your lucky day. It's it's perfect. It's It just hits you so much harder. It's yeah. so great. Oh, it's way more impactful. Yeah. We don't need the whole speech there. Um, she has some of those other lines at different moments about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you cannot have him or something. She says something yeah. like that in the movie. Um, but there are different times. And just moving that around, it's it's so smart. And it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. better. It's just um, better. So I want to bring up a little bit more Tolkien lore here. If you remember in The Two Towers, I brought up that um, the, the Ents were supposedly inspired by a prophecy from Macbeth about the forest moving. Yeah. And in Macbeth, it turns out that that's the forest moving is just a bunch of guys disguised as trees. Right. And supposedly Tolkien did not like that, thought he could do better. Yeah. This is another such instance. So another of the prophecies in Macbeth is that Macbeth um, cannot be killed by uh, any man born of woman or something like that. Um, and what ends up happening is that, um, the guy who kills him was like basically delivered by C-section. Right, 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 right. He's ripped from his mother's womb. So, oh, not born of woman. And supposedly the story goes that Tolkien read this and was like, nah. Yeah. I can, I can do better with this. Yeah. And fair enough. It kind of does. Cause yeah, this is it, it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a great moment. Great scene. Uh, and the movie just does it even better than the book. So one of the things that's interesting in the book that it's like there's not much that happens in the battle at Minas Tirith after Aragorn shows up. Yeah. They show up and they just kind of win. Yeah. Which is also kind of what happens in the movie. Um, but uh, I just thought that giving them a little bit more to do with Legolas, especially Legolas and Gimli, giving them mm-hmm. some some cool stuff to do in that battle, which we don't see of any any of in the book. It's fun. Right. Um, it's always fun to watch them fight. And one of those things that happens that is not in the book, and I know somebody asked about this, so we got to talk about it. Legolas does not single-handedly bring down a, a Mumakil or an Oliphant. Yeah. That is a movie ad. Movie ad. And it still only counts as one is not in the book. That, that The counting thing is not in this book. That was yeah, just that a two-towers thing. that was just in thing. two towers. They decided in the movie, let's keep that going. It's a fun gag. Makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so the book drops the entire, well, almost, almost the entire. The, entire. Um, the theatrical cut drops the entire yes. of this, but I mean, we get we get a little bit of it in the extended edition, but we drop most of the House of Healing chapter. chapter yeah. um, it does have some interesting stuff, and we see a little bit of it. We get in the extended edition, we get to see Aragorn heal the sick because he's the one true king. Yeah, um, but there there is some other stuff we're missing. Yeah. He heals like Mary and uh, Faramir and yeah. like he, um, there lots of other stuff happens in that scene. One of the things that's great that I love about the scene is him dealing immediately <laughs> upon sort of assuming his, he's not even really like the king yet, but kind of because he, this is his moment where they're like, we need the king to heal these people because it's a king's touch or whatever. It's just kind of some vague magic-y thing. Yeah. Um, he shows up and so this is kind of like his first thing as king and I love the the herb master or whatever and the and the 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 like healing woman there's yeah. like the he- head healer nurse lady and the herb master in the city this whole time uh, Aragorn just needs king's foil he just needs king's foil because it's it's it'll help him cu- cure these people and he knows about it and he tries to tell this to the nurse lady and she's like, but that doesn't do anything. And he's like, ah, yes, it does. <laughs> and he's like, do you have any? And she's like, I don't know. I'll go ask the herb master. And then the herb master shows up and he's like, I need King's foil. And the herb master's like, 
well, that doesn't do anything. And he's like, oh, I just need case file. <laughs> and I love it. Just feels like kind of this great, like immediately the bureaucracy uh, that Aragorn is going to have to deal with as the king <laughs> of just like everybody questioning everything he's saying. And just like, oh, my God, just bring me some motherfucking king's foil. I'm the goddamn king. Uh, it's so great. Uh, and I also a little moment is that Mary, as soon as he gets healed and wakes up, is immediately hungry. Yeah, he's immediately like, what's for breakfast? He is a hobbit after all. <laughs> and uh, and there's a little a fun little bookend on the uh, the herb master thing mm-hmm. where Aragorn is talking to uh, to Mary about um, about the herb master. Uh, and he, Mary says he wants to some he wants to smoke. He wants some tobacco. And Aragorn responds to him. Master Marianoch, if you think that I have passed through the mountains in the realm of Gondor with fire and sword to bring herbs to a careless soldier who throws away his gear, you are mistaken. If your pack has not been found, then you must send for the herb master of this house. And he will tell you that he did not know that the herb you desire had any virtues, but that it is called Westman's weed by the vulgar and Galenus by the noble and other names in other tongues more learned. And after adding a few half forgotten rhymes that he does not understand, he will regretfully inform you that there is none in the house. and he will leave you to reflect on the history of tongues and so now must i for i have not slept in such a bed as this since i rode from dunharrow nor eaten since the dark before dawn and i just love sassy aragorn in that moment who's just done with it all (laughs) it's just uh, i laughed a lot in that moment uh reading the book and that's the main thing i miss from this chapter i don't think tonally it fits in here in the movie yeah no it's fun in the it's fun in the book though i just sassy aragorn's great um and speaking of aragorn yeah um i think the aragorn that we see in this book um kind of humble yeah, um, willing to wait to like fully assume his yeah. kingship. Um, I think that's more in line with movie Aragorn. Yeah, I, I agree because in the book he does in this book he does say I don't. Let's not discuss me being king yet. Mm-hmm. Let's wait about all that. We got more stuff to do. Yeah, let's figure all this out later. And and he's like, I'm not your king yet. Don't say it. like we'll worry about all that later. And that I I I was like, okay, this feels very clearly where they drew this inspiration for sort of movie Aragorn, who's not sure about the throw, who who is more humble, who is mm-hmm. more. Uh, let's wait and talk about it. I I don't know if I'm all about this. And now that's not necessarily that he's not doesn't want to in the book or anything. It's just that he's like. He's, he's not yeah. gung ho for the throne that he in the way he seems kind of early in the yeah, books. He's a little more like tempered. Yeah. In this book. Yeah. And it feels more like Aragorn yeah. of all the movies. And it's, it's even just oh, the way the book progresses his character that way is kind of nice. Yeah. We see that he's maybe learned some things. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other only other thing that I thought was interesting and I prefer in the movie uh, going back to the Minas Tirith battle because we don't find this out until after the battle's over in the book. Yeah. They talk about the ghosts and yeah. stuff. They like tell a tale about it, which I thought was weird. Um, and here's what the difference that, 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 that the movie does uh, is that in the book, the ghosts, they get the ghosts to come help and they help them free all the slaves on the boats. Yeah. And they overthrow the slave masters and uh, and then they like rally the surrounding villages and that's who comes on the boats up the river with them and yeah. attacks. So when they get to Minas Tirith and jump out and, and go and help reinforce and fight, it's Aragorn, 
Legolas Gimli, a bunch of rangers and a bunch of like free folk yeah. of the land. It's not ghosts. No. In the movie, they're like ghosts swarm. <laughs> uh, I So the, really what happens here is that the movie was like, we can show the ghosts. We can do this one of two ways. We can do that. What the book did and have all the people show up or we can show the ghosts. We can we and we can show the ghosts fight the people down there or we can have the ghosts come up on the ships and fight and kill all these people, which to me makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a cleaner ending yeah. for that. Because when you get to the end of the battle, you just get to have the ghosts kind of like scrubbing <laughs> bubbles away Wash off, off into, yeah. the, into the ether. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> and they get to have them just kind of rush through the city and like yeah. save everybody. It's all good now. Whereas like if you just have like a couple thousand more people there to help fight, we still have a whole battle to settle. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a smart switch for the movie to just kind of wrap that up. We got other things to get mm-hmm. to. No, I agree. But yeah, it it is a difference. Yeah, because and it was funny listening to it too, because we got through the battle and we were like, "Well, where was the ghost yeah. army?" Yeah, they didn't even mention the ghosts at all. Yeah, and then we after like way afterwards, we were like, "Oh, because they weren't there." Yeah, he releases them after they help him free the people on the ships yeah. and that sort of thing, and it's like, and maybe there's a joke to that in the movie where Gandalf's like, "Are you sure you want to release them, lad? They're good in a pinch or whatever." Uh, because in the book he releases them really early and they yeah. could have used them on the battlefield of Minas Tirith, whereas in the movie he releases them after that where they yeah. also feasibly could have used them at the Black Gate. But yeah, um, Aragorn's a man of his word, so. That he is. Um, Gimli <laughs> has a great line uh, that's not in the book right yeah. before they leave for the Black Gate. Yeah. Um, they're talking about their plan and he's like, certainty of death, no chance of success. What are we waiting for? Yeah, not in the book. So good. It's very Gimli. Aragorn's speech at the Black Gate is not in the book. He doesn't have a speech at all before they fight. Uh, They go, they talk to the Mouth of Sauron, all that stuff goes down, he gets back, and then they fight. Um, No speech whatsoever. Gotta give Aragorn an epic speech. I mean, and what what is a more iconic speech than the, but it is not this day. Oh, the only more iconic speech is Theoden's speech like 10 minutes ago. That's the only (laughs) downside of this is that you cannot match Theoden's speech. Even though Aragorn's is pretty good, he doesn't quite have the commanding presence of Theoden. It's something with his voice just isn't. But uh, there may be a day when the strength of men fails, but it is not this day is pretty good. And then the turnaround for Frodo. He doesn't say for Frodo in the book. That's mm-hmm. all in the movie, which is I like. Um, and then uh, Legolas's tearjerker oh, line. God. What about side by side with a friend? Yeah, Gimli. I uh, never thought I'd die side by side with an elf. And how about side by side with a friend? Not in the book. <laughs> oh God. <sighs> so good. Uh, yeah. Complete movie edition. Uh, cutting back. To Frodo and Sam's story. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually get a lot of this that I didn't realize and didn't remember. So in the book, after they leave the Tower of Kirithungal, um, we get to see a lot of their journey to Mount Doom. Yeah, we spend a lot of time traveling through Mordor. In the theatrical cut of the film, we go leaving Terror of Kirithungal and then like air at, at, at Mount, Mount Doom. Doom. Yeah, they were right next door to each other, you guys. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of oh, and now we're there. Um, the extended edition movie has a lot more uh, of the things that happen in the book. Still not as much as the book. Not as much. Um, but one of the big ones is that they do join this company of orc. These orcs Mm -hmm. come across them on the road and, and put them in and go, we're going to the gate and they like, um, you know, make them go on, uh, with them. And ultimately there's a fight that breaks out that, uh, 
that allows him to escape from this. Yeah. But there is a slight movie change that you thought. Was I a- thought this was a good change. Um, so in the book, the orcs just kind of break out into a fight. Yeah. Like you do when you're an orc, I guess. Yeah. Um, in the movie, we see that Sam and Frodo have learned yeah. how to take advantage of their enemies. Yeah. And they actually start a fight with each other and in order to purposefully distract the orcs, which I thought was a great sense. little yeah. little detail change. Yeah, I thought it made a lot of sense. Uh, in this moment, too, Sam finally mentions Rosie in the book. Yeah, we finally get a mention of Rosie. Yeah, he's like, oh, I miss Rosie. I would marry Rosie or whatever. And if you had never seen the movies, you'd be like, who Who's the Rosie? hell is Rosie? Because she has never been mentioned. And that's one of the benefits of knowing where you're ending when they were making yeah. these movies. They could go, oh, Rosie that he mentions and who does he does marry yeah. in the end of the book. Let's tease her at let's, the beginning yeah. of Fellowship. Let's have her show up at the beginning. Perfect. Great. Uh, really smart choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because in the book, it's just like, yeah, you don't know who that is. Yeah. I mean, you don't really need to. It's not super important, but it's, but it's still it's a nice it's thing. kind of like a weird like thing like why who's rosie and yeah. why are you talking about her because we spent moment? a lot of time in hobbiton and, and in the shire yeah. before they left and there was never any mention of rosie and we spend a and lot of time walking around with sam mentioned. and frodo yeah yeah and they never yeah yeah i yeah i thought those movies putting that in earlier makes a yeah. lot of sense uh let's talk about frodo at the crack of mount Doom. yes this is what uh, the other thing your sister asked about earlier is that how does this the ending of this movie play out versus the ending of the book? Mm-hmm. I say the ending. <laughs> There's so much more ending, but the uh, <laughs> the the destruction of the ring. How does that play out? Um, and it is very similar, like we said. But the big thing is that Frodo, after losing the ring to Gollum, attacks Gollum to try to get the ring back. Yeah, which he does not do in the book. Um, and then. As they're fighting, they topple off the cliff. Yes, so they both fall. They both fall. Uh, Gollum falls completely and just into the lava and dies uh, with the ring. Um, but the ring kind of stays floating on some, like, cooled magma. Mm-hmm. So it's sitting there still, uh, not destroyed yet. And Frodo's hanging on the edge of the cliff. And this is another... Uh, <laughs> this is another Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade <laughs> thing, kind of. Um that's interesting. But uh, and Frodo's sitting there and and he the thing I like about this movie, Ed. So I know some people probably prefer the book ending where Gollum in his happiness just sort of slips and falls mm-hmm. and, and 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 sort of and, the message. Yeah. of And that's that. And, and there's sort of an implied message there of uh, be careful what you wish for kind of yeah. thing of like the 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 fool's gold of the ring and, yeah. and the happiness when he gets it. And, it you know, leads to his demise. Um, the movie though, I think the way they do it is, is interesting. Yeah. Now what, like what I like about it is that I feel like it shows Frodo having hope Yeah. in the end. He had that he has hope still because yeah. he reaches for Sam Yeah. at that moment. He doesn't just let go. He doesn't let go. But he does choose to let go of the ring. Yes. Which is something we don't get in the book. So he doesn't just fail. I think that's the big thing for me. Yeah. Is that so as much as this tale is Sam's and even Tolkien has said that that Sam is the hero, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, I think it's important that our that Frodo doesn't just fail. Yeah. <laughs> Which in the book, he just fails. Yeah, he does. He gets there. He he his outcome is exactly. Now, you can argue. I will, I will accept this, that he doesn't fail in the sense that his mercy to Gollum throughout the series is what allows Gollum to be there. 
Yeah. So his mercy does kind of save the day. You see what I'm saying? Like yes. if he had had Gollum killed yes. at any point, there's that argument he made. So I get that. But in this moment, uh, Sam's or Frodo's will fails uh, in the book and he just loses the ring and Gollum falls off and he gets no chance to to have any sort of success or any sort of uh, to to win at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say win is not the right word. But in the movie, when he when the ring is laying there in the in the fire about to burn, if if Frodo was truly gone, if Frodo truly uh, was lost to the ring completely, he would he would just let himself fall. Yeah, he would throw himself into the he would throw himself into it. the fire after it. But in this moment, he doesn't. He lets it go. He turns and he grabs um, he reach, Sam's yeah, hand. He reaches for Sam and grabs his hand. And they pulls him out. And that is that final moment of him giving up the ring that I think at least gives him a little bit of... It, the movie does a little bit of having your cake and eating it too there of him failing but also mm-hmm. not failing. But I think it feels good and I think it works really well. And it's also exactly the ending of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> so I just realized (laughs) indiana falls off a cliff is hanging there the grail is below him on a cliff ledge he looks at it and he's going he wants to try to grab it and and his dad is like no let it go indy and then he reaches up and grabs his dead hand and his dad pulls him out and the and the grail falls into the abyss (laughs) and it's literally that ending i honestly forgot that that is like exactly the ending it's kind of interesting so yeah, that that's the big difference there. I I I I do think I prefer the movie version slightly. Yeah. Uh, in the book, why hear the eagle talks? It's weird. I don't. It, like it is it. a little weird. Um, but the eagles fighting the Nazgul, I thought was a fun movie ad. Yeah, they that show makes up. sense. Yeah, they show up and the Nazgul are there and they're like, and we get yeah. like dog fighting. It's yeah. cool. I mean, if the bad guys have an air force, the good guys should get an air force. Yeah, an air force, too. yeah. Um, there's a a a part in the book. It's not a whole chapter, but it's part of a yeah. chapter um, where the fellowship gathers together after everything and they share their stories. Um, it's nice in the book. Um, it's unnecessary in the movie. We get to see them hugging and smiling and laughing for no reason. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, OK, they're happy. They And we all yeah. know the tale of each other. We don't need that yeah. recapped. You know, it's it's yeah. Moving on. Uh, there's more singing in the book that's not in the movie. Yeah. Legolas sings about something. Thanks, Legolas. Good job. (laughs) Uh, There's a romance novel chapter in this book. Just after the ring's destroyed, Tolkien's like, I'm going to try my hand at writing a romance novel for a chapter. It's like the second half of the House of Healing chapter is all about Faramir falling hard for Eowyn. Yeah. That shield maiden, hot blonde lady. Yeah. And it's and there's like the descriptions of them standing on the battlements with the sun setting and yeah. the wind and their hair staring into each other. <laughs> yeah. It's very romance novel. It really is. Um, um, which is interesting. It's but. interesting. One thing that I did think was funny in that chapter was that uh, Faramir doesn't know how to talk to Eowyn. So he like goes to Mary and he's like, so what can you tell me about your friend? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things that the book does that I thought was gross uh, mm-hmm. that the movie doesn't do is that uh, the book is basically says like Faramir comes to her and is like, hey, you can you can you can stop being a shield maiden now and you can just be my wife. Yeah, because we're in love. We're in love. And she's like, OK. 
And it just feels like, wait, the whole point of this whole thing yeah. the whole time is that she gets to fight and she doesn't have to be put in the baby don't want to be put in the corner. And she's <laughs> not just like a housemaiden. But ultimately, the thing that brings her happiness in the book is that she gets yeah. to be a it's wife. It's a real gross message. Yeah. And I I love Faramir and Eowyn. Yeah. I do. Like, they're one of my OTPs. I love them. But it's a real gross moment yeah. in the book. Yeah. It just feels like, oh, God, okay. Like, yeah. 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 She could, you, you didn't have to go that direction with it, which the movie just doesn't go into that much detail about. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have a whole lot of conversations that we see in the movie. Um, so it just makes sense. To not really go in, but yeah, the book is just like, oh, and she's like, oh, he's like, you don't have to fight anymore. You can just Ugh, be I with me. I don't want to because I have a man. Now. Yeah, and it's and it and that's really feels like that's the point. And yeah. it's like, Ugh. <laughs> all right, it's a yikes for me, dog. Yeah. Randomly in the book, we get to watch uh, Aragorn's coronation ceremony from the point of view of the old woman from the House of Healing. She's like, like gossiping to her friend the whole yeah. time. <laughs> like, like, we were listening in the car. I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why are know. we with her? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, the the line in the movie, uh, this is not in the book, when uh, after Aragorn is crowned, the hobbits are there. And they are there in the book. They have the whole coronation ceremony and everything. But the hobbits bow to him and mm-hmm. Aragorn, my friends, you bow to no one. Great uh, line. Great line. Just a movie line. Um yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so the Tree of Gondor, there's a little bit of a weird, confusing yeah. little mini plot thread with that in the book where like they see a new tree growing like on the side on of the a hill. cliff. Yeah. And they like dig it up and replant it and bury the old withered tree. Um, I get it. I, I mean get that's it. obviously the symbolism of the the new the coming of the yeah, new the king coming of the, and, the new, and it's a new brand wine. new tree. Yeah. Um, I think the the movie streamlines that in a way that still works by having the old tree just start to blossom again. Start to again. bloom again, yeah. Like, okay, yeah. And again, it is the return of the king. Yeah. So the tree sort of returning to life Right, makes yeah, sense. no, that's a good point. It's the return of the king, not here's a brand new king. Not here's a new king, yeah. Or, or, or he is a new king, but it's from the same line of kings. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I, I thought that was a little strange in the, uh, in, in the movie, or yeah. in the book, rather. All right, so here's our last thing um, in this section. Let's talk about the scouring of the Shire. Let's do it. Because here's the thing about the scouring of the Shire. I would love to see this as its own movie. This should be a standalone movie. Yes, it should. This should be a standalone movie. They, if you want to make... Why did they make The Hobbit? I mean, fine. <laughs> but no, here's the thing. Come back, get all the actors. They're probably not too old. Because Gandalf's not in it, so it, you don't yeah. need Ian, McKell- Ian McKellen around. Uh, Christopher Lee's dead, so that's a problem. That is a problem. But uh, and he does die in the movie. Maybe we but. we could do that weird. Uh, yeah, we bring could, him back to life. Yeah, we could do the weird uh, CG. Yeah, hologram thing. And as long as you just count the theatrical cut as canon, then he can still be alive. I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's not. I think yeah. he's not dead in the theatrical cut. But anyways. So the scouring of the Shire is really interesting. It oh, it is so interesting. It's really cool. Um, it, it so for anybody who doesn't know, who's just a movie person, the scouring of the Shire, the hobbits get back to the Shire, and, and everything it, is horrible. Everything's a nightmare. 
Um, uh, be- uh, <laughs> it's like when Simba gets back to the Pride Lands after Scar's been in charge for a while and everything yeah. is just like dead and awful and yeah. gray. Um, in there, in, in, uh, Saruman's, uh, eventually you find out it's Saruman's influence has crept into the land mm-hmm. and uh, corrupted a lot of the, the people involved. Uh, Bill Fernie, who we met in the very first book, has shown up and he's 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 also he's there and he's part of the uh, sort of like cabal of um, basically like. Va- not vagabonds what are they called ruffians who ruffians, have taken yeah. up taken over the shire basically yeah. and are sort of using it to their own ends yeah and all the hobbits are like living under martial law yeah and it's just this really horrible situation yeah um and sam and 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 uh, frodo sam mary and pippin show up and have to fix things yeah they're like oh shit and but they can fix things because they spent the last two years of their lives or whatever yes um, being taught how to handle this sort yes. of stuff. Um, and I I totally get why this chapter was cut from the movie on, on a very simple basis just for time. Yeah. Because this is its whole long involved story and, and I think it would be hard to cut it down. And it's a whole story that has its own setup, mm-hmm. uh, a, a battle scene, yeah. a climax with Saruman dying, yeah. uh, the and confrontation. It has its own beginning, middle, and it really is its own little separate story. After the ring is destroyed, yeah. after everything ends. It feels, it's not out of place in the book, but it feels a bit like, I thought we were done. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the point. You're supposed to feel like, I thought we were done. Yes. That's how the hobbits feel. But it makes sense in the narrative of the film to cut it. It does. But I, I like this chapter a lot. Like we said, I wish they could do its own standalone movie. Yeah, standalone would be um, really because interesting. Because it it's like a graduation for our four hobbits, yeah. where they get to use what they've learned, and it shows how much they've grown and changed. And also, importantly, it forces the Shire itself to grow and change yeah. um, and shows that like nothing can ever stay exactly the same, but maybe something better can come out of a bad change. Yeah. Because what we see at the end is all of the hobbits working together yes. to save their, their land. Yeah. And as we know from fellowship, hobbits are like very divisive and the clannish. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to work together. The tooks, tooks come and help. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, yeah. And, 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 so everything, all the all the trees have been cut down, all the all the plants have been spoiled, and all this. But then, uh, because of the soil that Sam has that he brings, he's able to replant everything, and it's yeah. even greener and more beautiful than it yeah, ever was. And everything is like a million times better. Out of the ashes, uh, the 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 Hobbit or the Shire grows. Uh, and it, again, <laughs> it's very interesting. It's a cool chapter. It's just it's like whew, it's a lot to have after you have the ring being destroyed. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just one more note on on that. So well, let's talk about what happened to Saruman. Saruman, we ultimately yeah. find out that Saruman was kind of behind all this and he retreated to the Shire after they he escaped from Orthanc and he's been there with Grima hanging out in Hobbit in in uh in Bag End. Yeah. Um kind of hanging out in Bag End. Uh it just kind of running things. His go, his nickname is Sharky for some reason, which is I weird. I did not get that. Yeah. Um, but he's been there uh, and he's kind of been doing everything. And this is the callback to the how the heck the 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 the, the long, long bottom, bottom leaf. leaf got to Isengard is because Saruman has been weaving, you know, uh, mm-hmm. sending his his spies and stuff into the Shire for a, a long time now um, to kind of set up this this uh, 
this like weird martial law government there that he runs. Um, but anyways, uh, he ultimately dies there. He gets confronted yeah. in Bag End, and that's when he's even more cruel to to Grima again. Grima slits his neck. Yeah, Grima tries to the run hobbits away. Hobbits aren't going to kill him. No, they tell him to leave. Frodo's like, I don't want his blood spilled here. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, Saruman's again just an asshole to Grima. Grima splits his neck and then runs, and then some of the hobbits shoot him full of arrows. Yeah, and he dies, and they're like, "Well, so passes Grima Wormtongue, son of some other Wormtongue." I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's what happens in the Scouring of the Shire. It's interesting. Go check out that one chapter. It's just called the Scouring of the Shire. If you've never read any of the books and you're just like a movie person and you want to get you that can kind of totally read it, you can totally read it as a standalone and just kind of imagine. Uh, go pick up the Return of the King book and just read the chapter called the Scouring of the Shire. It's really interesting. So let's move on to the movie nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. First thing first, I always thought there was something so satisfying about the drowning of Isengard in both Mm -hmm. in the movie and the book also captures it. Just the water filling every nook and cranny and and just cleaning it out. It's it's yeah, it's that it's that uh, very satisfying feeling of like a deep cleanse type of uh, (laughs) idea that. Yeah. And the book also has that that same sort of feeling going on in it that I got from the movie. When Gandalf confronts Saruman, um, he tells him, give up the key to Orthanc, give up your staff, you can go free. Um, Saruman refuses, and Gandalf banishes him, breaks his staff. That all plays out pretty much Which I had forgotten about, but that does happen in the movie. And yeah. I had this originally in Better in the Book, but in the movie he does blow up his staff, yeah. which is pretty sweet And what happens in the book. Uh, Pippin stealing the the Palantir in the middle of the night and staring into it is like identical in the book as to what happens in the movie uh, down to uh, Gandalf's eyes not being fully closed while he's yeah. sleeping uh, he, when he comes across him. Um, so he gets a stone. He replaces the Palantir with a stone instead of a jug or whatever. Quickly now he drew off the cloth, wrapped the stone in it and kneeling down, laid it back by the wizard's hand. Then at last looked at the thing that he had uncovered. There it was a smooth globe of crystal now dark and dead lying before his knees. Pippin lifted it, covered it hurriedly in his own cloak and half turned to go back to his bed. At that moment, Gandalf moved in his sleep and muttered some words that seemed to be in a strange tongue. His hand groped out and clasped the wrapped stone. Then he sighed and did not move again. So again, that's what happens in the movie. Um, And then Pippin, Sat with his knees drawn up and the ball between them. He bent low over it, looking like a greedy child stooped over a bowl of food in a corner away from the others. He drew his cloak aside and gazed at it. The air seemed still and tense about him. At first, the globe was dark, black as jet, with the moonlight gleaming on its surfaces. They're outside in this moment in the book, and, not, and they're not in the earth in the, in the book. Um, then there came a faint glow and stir in the heart of it, and it held his eyes so that now he could not look away. Soon, all the insides seemed on fire. The ball was spinning, or the lights within were revolving. Suddenly, the lights went out. He gave a gasp and struggled, but he remained bent, clasping the ball with both hands. Closer and closer, he bent and then became rigid. His lips moved soundlessly for a while, then he strangled then with a strangled cry he fell back and lay still the cry was piercing the guards leapt down from the banks all the camp was soon astir um so that that moment of him grabbing on the ball and writhing around Mm -hmm. and i just i struck me reading it that that's exactly how i imagined or exactly what actually happens in the movie minas tirith is identical to what the description is in the book like i'm not going to read the whole thing but it's all of the gates going up the different levels, uh, even the big 
stone thing that comes out is mm-hmm. described in the book that like pierces out from the middle at the very top level. Um, the gates being offset as they go up, it being all white, the tree at the top, everything is like identical. And again, a lot of the people, uh, the guy who did a lot of the art for the movie is a guy who also drew a lot of the art in the the books. I can't, Alan something, I think. I can't remember his name mm-hmm. now. So yeah, uh, it makes sense that it's kind of exactly what the book uh, yeah. says, but it is. Um, Denethor with a broken horn in his lap. When they find him in the hall, yeah. he has Boromir's horn. Um, and one of the things I thought that was interesting, though, when we were when I was reading this book is that I felt like I was reading movie Denethor into the book version of him more than I should. I was, I I had a hard time divorcing the, the movie Denethor and like his creepy, like uh, manipulative, um, greedy, like uh, self, self important version of, of him. Mm -hmm. I kind of could only see that in everything. The book version said, even if that maybe wasn't the intent yeah. Potentially. Yeah. So it kind of colored my version of Book Denethor, I feel like, maybe more than any of the other characters. So, yeah. Um, but Pippin does pledge his services to him. He does. Um, Sam and Frodo see uh, the beheaded statue with the flowers growing on it. King has got a crown again. Yeah, we mentioned that in an old episode, yeah. but yeah, it does happen. And when they get to Minas Morgul, uh, there's a moment where lightning and flames leap out of it. And this is that moment where Gandalf sees it. Mm-hmm. From from Minas Tirith, and they're right outside of it, and the lights or the the lightning strikes, and the flames shoot out of it, and then there's a cry of the Ringwraither or Nazgul or whatever, and then the gates open and the army marches out. It's all exactly what happens in the book when they're right there, uh, and it's also what happens in the movie. The only difference is that the bridge is white in the book, and I feel like it's black in the movie, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Frodo and Sam talking about uh, tales. Yeah. This was from the end of the Two Towers movie, but it happens um, yeah. in this book. And particularly the moment where uh, Frodo says, well, you left out the part about Sam. I yeah. want to hear more about Sam the Brave or whatever. <laughs> uh, he says that in the book. And yeah, that's the end of Two Towers. Yeah. Gollum and Sam's confrontations um, where Sam kind of. He accuses Gollum of sneaking, and then he tries to sort of kind of apologize. Yeah. And he's like, what are, what were you up to anyway? And Gollum says, sneaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have it your way then. Yeah. I think that actually was at the end of Two Towers. Yeah. Um, but in it the does, book, yeah. yeah, in the book. But it does happen in this movie. Like, and it's almost the exact same lines, I think. Yeah. It, yeah, it's very similar. Um, like we said earlier, your sister asked about Sam and Shelob. It's almost mm-hmm. identical. Uh, he attacks her. He does dual wield, though, which, again, not there. But all, all that scene is very similar to the movie. And then Gandalf has a great line after the lights go up. I think it happens in a different place, but he does say the board is set and the pieces are moving. I think the movie version is slightly different, but it's very similar. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the one of those dramatic Gandalf like the board is set and the pieces are moving. Mm hmm. Uh, Pippin has a line, and I'm fairly certain this is in the movie. It has to be. I know it is. When he's sitting there talking to Gandalf, he says, I don't like battle, but waiting on the edge of one I can't escape is worst of all. That yeah. line's from the book. Yeah. He says that to Gandalf in one of the, the night before the battle at Minas Tirith. This is the thing I thought was interesting. Sorry, I'm taking a bunch in a row here. I, I just wrote all these notes. <laughs> um, I thought I thought the juxtaposition in the book uh, that uh, wasn't as apparent to me just having watched the movie, but definitely was watch or reading the book also is the juxtaposition of the relationship between 
Pippin and Denethor mm-hmm. and Merry and Theoden because mm-hmm. they both pledge their service yeah. to these kings. Um, but Theoden is actually an honorable, good man who respects him and uh, at times is is like you can't help us on the battlefield. You're, he's he, he's not right. compl- entirely not dismissive of him, but he does. You can feel that there's a genuine love and affection for Mary there, whereas mm-hmm. Pippin is in the service of this guy who doesn't care about him and who um, who doesn't take him seriously at all and kind yeah. of laughs off his yeah. his service and that sort of thing. Um, whereas Mary or Theoden has uh, maybe potentially um, realistic uh, uh, expectations of what Mary's capable of and say, and say on the battlefield, potentially um, he does at least really respect Mary and, and, and does mm-hmm. treat him well as opposed to Denethor. Yeah. Um, Gimli's line, an elf will go underground and a dwarf dare not. Yeah. When they're going to go to the path of the dead. Uh, I always thought that was funny in the movie, yeah. but yeah, it's right out of the book. Yep. Yeah, Gimli says the same thing. Um, and the Rohan encampment with the winding yeah. trail up the mountain is described in the book. And it was like identical. Yeah, it goes back and forth up this up this mountainside, and then it gets to this like clearing at the top and in the side of the mountain. It's identical, overlooking the big encampment. Mm-hmm. I was like reading this this time. I was like, that's exactly what you yeah. see in the movie. Yeah, they give a line that uh, Theoden has in the book. It's a great line. Theoden says it in the book right before they're about to ride to Gondor. Mm-hmm. He says, so we come to it at last. The great battle of our time. Uh, Gandalf says it in the movie. Yeah, but Still, it is from the book. It's from the book and it's a great line. They just change who says it, which they, they also do a lot in the in the movies. Mm-hmm. As they move around lines to different people. Um, the part where Theoden orders Mary not to come to battle. That yeah. whole conversation is basically identical. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about Denethor asking if Pippin can sing. The yes. dialogue there is, is exactly straight out of the book. Um, and I also thought the movie does a good job of capturing Pippin's like gloom while yeah. he's in Minas Tirith, where he's like <laughs> yeah. so out of his element. Yeah, um, he sighs a lot. He sighs a book. lot. Yeah, I mean, we wrote that note, and then a moment later in the book, there was a line about Pippin sighing, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, like that. Um, but yeah, he he does. I think the movie really does, and the actor does a really good job job portraying sort of his. Uh, being completely out of his depth mm-hmm. and just like, I, what am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, right. Gandalf rides out and saves Fer- Faramir from the Nazgul when he's coming back from Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is exactly what happens in the book. Uh, the only slight difference, and I think the movie, this is a slight movie is better, is that when he rides out and the light comes out to chase away the Nazgul, mm-hmm. it comes out of his hand in the book. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, it comes out of his staff. And yeah. now we know the staves are important because staves are important because he breaks Saruman's mm-hmm. in the book. So we know that like the staves right, are a and thing in the book. that's described as breaking Saruman's power. Power, yeah. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. That it would be the staff or whatever. I don't know. Anyways, but that yeah. whole scene, other than that, is kind of identical. And Pippin, although the there's other, that small yeah, change that that's maybe better sense. in the book. In the movie, he takes Pippin with him yeah. for some reason. Pippin's that on makes the horse. No sense. And, no, in the book, in that moment, Pippin's up on the battlements watching this happen. Yeah. Which, of course, like why would yeah. why, why would, would Gandalf why take him with him? him? Doesn't make any sense. <sighs> Uh, Denethor ends up being upset that Faramir let Frodo and Sam go when he had them. Mm-hmm. This is the exact same thing that happens in the book and the movie. Uh, and he's he's also um, upset that 
he thinks that Faramir is more worried about. And the move this doesn't come across quite as much in the movie as it does in the book. He's like more up, he's upset that Faramir seems to care more what Gandalf thinks of him. Yeah. Uh, than he cares what Denethor wants. He's like because in the book he's constantly sort of like looking at Gandalf during the conversation yeah. and figuring out what he should say and shouldn't say about the ring and that sort of thing. And Denethor realizes this. And the movie doesn't kind of cover that as much. Mm-hmm. It's more of just like, hey, you could have brought us the ring and you didn't. How dare you? Um, but in general, it's pretty similar. Um, but some stuff that the movie does really nail um, is more of the conversation between Faramir and Denethor. Um, Faramir being apologetic, yeah. and Denethor like going off on him for being too lordly mm-hmm. and generous. Too generous. Yeah. Um, and then some of the lines. Yeah, uh, Faramir says, "Do you wish? To, do you wish that it was I who had gone in Boromir's stead?" And and Denethor says, "Yes, I do wish that." You know, that's right out of the book. Sad eyes, Faramir. Yeah, and uh, and he, and he he says, um, yeah, and then following up, eventually after that, in a scene, um, he says, uh, when he wants Faramir to go try to take back Osgiliath, he says, uh, "Now, if there's a captain here who has strength to do his lord's will," mm-hmm. and Faramir again, very defeated, and and uh, I will do it since you are robbed of Boromir, and all yeah. of that is. Yeah. Movie to book identical. Uh, they kind of happen in different places, kind of. Um, but yeah. Uh, the other line that uh, is really great, and it happens in a different place, but Pippin asks in the movie, is there is there much hope for Frodo Gandalf? In the book, this happens. Denethor asks him or says there's, there's no hope yeah. for the ring or something. And Gandalf says a great line. There was never much hope. Just a fool's hope. I yeah. think referring to himself in that instance. Him Probably. as the fool is, is yeah. what it seems like. Um, we mentioned that uh, the enemy throws the heads of the dead back into the city. That is yep. from the book. And then Denethor's mind snaps. Well, he's hanging out with Faramir's body. Yeah. <laughs> Although the only difference in the in the in the book, Denethor is absolutely aware that Faramir's not dead. Yeah. The movie seems to try to play it a little more like Denethor thinks he is dead. Like he actually does think he's dead, yeah. Now he's clearly like delusional. Yes. But he still seems to think he's dead because there's that final moment where Faramir opens his eyes in the movie and he's and like, he's like <gasps> And that in the move in the book that's not the case. He just kn- he knows he's alive, but yeah. he thinks he's going to die. Right. And he's like, "Uh, he's, we're just Yeah, completely lost hope. He's going to burn himself and his son." Yeah. And be cleansed by the fire and be done and with it. All and all kinds of thing. more. Yeah. Uh, in the movie and the book, they have the giant siege towers. Yes. I felt like I was wondering if those were going to be like a movie thing. But no, they they talk about the giant siege towers that they use to assault the city mm-hmm. in the book. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Denethor's best melodramatic oh, line. So good. To Pippin, go now and die in what way seems best to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. It's arguably a little better in the movie because he says it while like throwing him out the door and yeah. slamming the door in his face, um, which I don't it's not exactly how it happens in the book. But he does say that exact line. I'm going to say that to my students on the last day of the semester. Go now. Go now die and die in what way seems best to you. This is the movie nailed it. We originally I forgot this was in the movie, but Gandalf yeah. confronts the Witch King um, inside Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. There's the only slight difference is that in the in the book, he does it at the front gate after the gates come crashing down. The Witch King rides in on his horse yes. and he uh, he confronts it there in the movie. He's up on the battlements going to save uh, Faramir. He's riding up to mm-hmm. the top and the Witch King lands. But the conversation is the same and it's a callback to the Balrog moment. 
um, which I thought was really cool uh, and that I didn't remember being in the movie, but it is. Yeah. And the, the scene, uh, the line he says, and this is right out of the book. It's also in the movie. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul, under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. I guess that's the only thing that's cooler in the book, is that there's other people there, and they're all like, huh, run, (laughs) whereas in the movie it's just the two of them. All save one, there waiting, silent, and still in the space before the gate sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the tear, unmoving, <laughs> steadfast as a graven, graven image in Rathdenan. Lord of all horses. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow, sh- shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back, fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. The Black Rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and that's kind of the witch king yeah. crown we get in the movie. And yet upon it, no head visible was it set. And yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fire shone between it and the mantled, sh- mantled shoulders vast and dark. From mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. Old fool, he said, old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade. The we talked about the George R. R. Martin yeah, and the, the flaming, the flaming sword. I think those are kind of a throughout mythology yeah, thing. But. but Gandalf did not move, and in that very moment, away behind in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed, shrill and clear. He crowed, reeking, uh, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming. Uh, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if in answer, there came from far away another note. Horns, horns, horns. In dark, Mendolians, Mendoluans, sides, they dimly echoed. That's the mountain. Great horns of the north, wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last. Look, I got goosebumps while you're reading that. It's good. It's good. That's a great. It's that good chapter, shit. It's real good. Um, it's real good. But uh, the movie does it. It's just, I think the, I think I prefer the book version. I will say, and we talked about this, the book is a little confusing because the Witch King goes back and forth between being on a flying Nazgul and being on a horse, whereas in the movie they clarify, or they just make that easy by he's just always on the flying thing. I don't know why you wouldn't be always on the flying thing, but... Yeah, anyways. um, Um, We also have, uh, straight from the book, the huge battering ram shaped like a giant wolf that they all call Grug for some reason. It's something like, it's either Grug or something like like Grug. (laughs) I like to think that they're actually chanting Greg. Greg, Greg, Greg. Greg. (laughs) Yeah, it's something like Grug. I now I can't remember what, I can't really tell. Grand, sorry, Grand. Grand. I just found it, Grand. That's because we were listening to that. In memory of the hammer of the underworld of old. Hmm. Grand. Grand. Um, I so like anyways. Greg. But it is. It looks like a giant wolf, and that's yeah. what they used to break yeah, down yeah. the gate. And then Snowman dies. Uh, yeah. We were listening to the book in the car, and I turned to you, and I was like, no, <laughs> not Snowman. Yeah, and he dies in the movie. Yeah. He, gets, he gets tossed. Uh, and then the confrontation. So other than the line change, which is better in the movie, the confrontation between Eowyn and the Witch King yeah. is identical. Yes. It's straight up identical to how it is in the in the movie and the, or in the book. Um, try to find it. Oh. Um, but it, everything that happens is is could not be more similar. Let's see here if I, I think I'm close to it. It's right before the Houses of Healing. Nope, it's right before the Pyre of Death. Or here we go. 
uh, Kingsman, Kingsman, his heart cried within him. You must stay by him as a father. You shall be to me, he said. But his uh, this is Mary talking. But his will made no answer and his body shook. He dared not open his eyes or look up again. This is Mary because the the witch king has landed at this point and he's terrified. Um, he, he's like blind and sick by the horror of it. Um, then out of the blackness in his mind, he thought that he heard Dernhelm speaking. Yet now the voice seems strange, recalling some other voice that he had known. Be gone, foul Dwemer Lake, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace. Come not between the Nazgul and his prey, or, or he will not slay thee in thy turn. He will bear thee away to the houses of lamentation beyond all darkness. And this this isn't in the movie, but again, the books yeah. tend to go on at length a little bit more with the dialogue. <laughs> um, the face of the enemy was not torn towards him, but still he hardly dared to move. This is Mary. De- uh, dreading li- lest the deadly eye should fall on him, slowly, slowly began to crawl aside. But the black captain in doubt and malice, intent upon the woman before him, heeded no more. Heated him no more than a worm in the mud. Suddenly the great beast beat its hideous wings and the wing of them and the wind of them was foul. Again, it leaped into the air and then swiftly down upon Eowyn, shrieking, striking with beak and claw. Still, she did not blench. Maiden of the Rohirrim, child of the kings, slender, but as as a slender, but as a steel blade, fair yet terrible. A swift stroke she dealt, skilled and deadly. The outstretched neck she clove asunder and the hewn head fell like a stone. Backward she sprang as the huge shape crashed to ruin. Vast wings outspread, crumpled on the earth, and with its fall the shadow passed away. A light fell about her, and her hair shone in the sunrise. Out of the wreck rose the Black Rider, tall and threatening, towering above her. And that shot in the movie is that to the yeah. T, where it, it after the thing lands, it stands up, and it's this shot of him just rising up above her. With a cry of hatred that stung the very ears like venom, he let fall his mace, which he has in the movie. Her shield was shivered in many pieces, which is exactly what happens mm-hmm. in the movie, and her arm was broken. She stumbled to her knees. He bent over her like a cloud, and his eyes glittered. He raised his mace to kill. Again, identical. But suddenly, he too stumbled forward with a cry of bitter pain, and his stroke went wide, driving into the ground. Mary's sword had stabbed him from behind, shearing through the back man- black mantle, and passing up beneath the hauberk, had pierced the sinew behind his mighty knee. There we go. And then she stabs him Slashes in the face. Slashes those knees. Yeah, and she stabs him in the face. So again, <laughs> it, the, the, like the scene with the Balrog, like so many of the like big moments, the movie's just like, we're going to do exactly what's in the book, <laughs> like to a T. Well, we're going to take it and we're going to go tweaky tweak here and there. A couple little teeny tiny things. Yeah. But but overall, it's overall, going to be that. Because why would you change it? Yeah. So the the other thing the movie does that I thought was interesting um, is that it, uh, it or not interesting. It's it, the, the other thing it nails is that it gives D- Denethor all the lines about how he he knows that Gandalf, basically all of his insecurities and all of his um, the things that are driving him to be uh, the shithead that he is. Mm -hmm. We get revealed throughout the course of the movie about how he won't give up the throne to Aragorn. Um, The only thing that the movie doesn't have that I think would help and I think is interesting uh, is that in the book, uh, Denethor is using the Palantir. Yeah. Uh, He has his own Palantir, Minas Tirith does. And it's one of the reasons Denethor is so like messed up by the time they get there is that um, he was a great man and he was strong enough to sort of uh, not turn evil mm-hmm. like his will was strong enough to not be turned evil. But it basically just stoked his despair and made him uh, the Denethor we see who's just yeah. ready to light himself and his son on fire, basically. Yeah. Um, it, it gives a little bit of an extra reason as to why Denethor goes over the edge mm-hmm. so quickly and so like f- so far over the edge. And he does set himself yeah, on fire. He does set himself on fire. <laughs> so passes Denethor, son of Ichthylian. 
Uh, they do, and then they do decide they need to draw out the forces of Mordor. Yeah, there are a lot of the same lines there. Yeah. Um, They're like, we need to turn the Eye of Sauron to us. Yeah, some of the lines might move around a little bit. Yeah. I don't remember exactly, but it's a lot of the same lines. Yeah. And there, in the movie, Aragorn's like presents the idea of marching yeah. to the gate, and in the book, it's Gandalf basically, yeah. but it's similar. <sighs> um, so back with Sam and Frodo. <laughs> yeah. Um, the orc coming down the stairs and seeing Sam's giant shadow and yeah. being fooled is from the book. Yeah. Um, except in the book, the orc never actually sees him. They just run away. Yeah. So he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't get kill him. He doesn't and, kill them. And doesn't say for my nuts for my old gaffer. It's not in the book. <laughs> One of the orc helmets that they put on after he rescues Frodo, um, they they do they, they do good gear up in orc regalia yes. so that they can sneak through Mordor, and they do the book specifically describes at least one of the helmets as having a beak nose guard, mm-hmm. and the movie uh, Frodo's I think or I can't remember. I think it was Frodo. I think it's Frodo's has like a beak nose guard. Yeah. it's like little details. Like all right, cool, well done. And then Sam has to throw away his pants. We didn't think this was in the movie, but it is. It is. It's in the book because they have to lighten their load so they can get to Mount Doom. Yeah. And they throw away like everything, everything, including his pans. And he's very sad about it. It made me sad. I put a sad face in our notes because it made me so sad. Yeah. Uh, The great line in the final moment. They're right at the precipice. And uh, Sam knows he can't carry the ring, but he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. That's what he says in the movie. In the book, he says that, but he has an extra three words. And this is, again, the movie, I think. Yeah, trimming in a way that helps trims it in a, in a good way in the book he says i can't carry it for you but i can carry you and it is well I feel like that's implied yeah. already so yeah. uh, i think the movie trimming off and it is well makes sense but again that line is is from the book um a lot of the sequence inside the crack of doom we talked about it a lot of it is identical um frodo's finger is still in the ring when Gollum holds it up yeah. which is kind of a grotesque detail it's in, in the movie it is and he pulled but we see him pull the finger yeah. out and throw it aside in the book he holds up the ring he above his head with the, the finger, finger in it <laughs> which is yeah that's good um and then the after they everything succeeds and they're and they're done, they think they're about to die out on the the edge of the mountain. Uh, they t- uh, Frodo turns to him and says, "I'm glad that you're here with me here at the end of all things, Sam." They again they tweak it slightly for yeah. the movie, but that is it's the same. And there is lava all around them. The mountain is yes, there is. It is the mountain is exploding, blowing up in a big way. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting that's the same and that I didn't remember uh, is that uh, that I didn't know is that when they do destroy the ring it does like topple all the towers and everything in the book. I thought that might be a movie thing where like the tower falls down and all the buildings collapse. That's what it's described in the book. I mean, if Sauron's power is all wrapped up in the ring and the the lore that we're told is that he basically created Mordor and everything in it. The ring. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and the only, the only difference is that in the book, all of the orcs just run away. Yeah. They're not described as being swallowed up in the earth, but I actually think that's a perfectly reasonable ad considering everything collapses it makes no, total totally. sense to me that the ground falls away and the orcs get swallowed up like i was like oh yeah sure fine cool works for me um bilbo asking about the ring frodo saying he lost it we talked yeah. about that Dialogue's identical. Yep, that's the same and then frodo gives sam his book and says the last pages are for him yes and they go to the gray havens yep i do like this in the book it's not mentioned in the movie. It's a little thing, but uh, that Mary and Pip show up uninvited. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, kind of the callback kind of to the fellowship. Yeah, yeah, to the beginning. Um, 
and uh, and then it does the, the the end of this book is identical. So the eight endings that yeah. we get in the movie are all in the book. Yes, every single one of them, if not more, in the book because <laughs> we have the whole scouring of the Shire and everything. Yeah. But the, the everything the 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 waking up in the house of the healing and then going to the coronation and then going home to the Shire and then. Uh, going to the Grey Havens and then coming back and Sam and it and it ends exactly the same as the book. We come mm-hmm. back home with Sam. He arrives at home with his family with Rosie the, and the ba- Eleanor and Frodo maybe um the other babies. Um, and his last line, the last line of the book is the last line of the movie. Well then, or well, I'm back. Yeah. Same exact. That's it. That's how the movie. That's how the book ends. Yep. I couldn't see you being disappointed if you were a book fan. I mean, I guess you could, but I would be astounded. Um, that's it for the movie Nailed It, which is so many things. Uh, these movies are, yep, we yeah. talked about it. They're, they're the best. <laughs> All right, a few odds and ends very quickly before we get to our final verdict and finish this thing off. I want to talk about real quickly the, the ghost army, the difference between the extended and the theatrical cut from my memory. Yeah. So I like the extended cuts of the movies in general. A lot of the stuff they add, especially having read the books, because a lot of it's stuff from the books, little mm-hmm. things that get cut. I think one of the things that the extended cut in The Return of the King is way worse about is I think the theatrical version of what happens with the army of the dead is way more interesting. From my memory, it's been a long time since I've seen the theatrical cut of The Return of the King. In my memory, Aragorn shows up in the mountain mm-hmm. has this confrontation with the king of the dead and says, fight for me. What say you? And he like, what say you? And then we cut away from them and we don't see yeah, them. We don't again. know what happened. We don't know what happened and we don't see them again until they show up off the boats yeah. to save the day. In the extended cut, they, the, the, the hall collapses and there's like a cascade of skulls. That's, what I don't know reason. what that is. It's not in the book, and it's I don't know what that is. And then they get outside, and then they see the boats. Yeah. And then the dead come through, and they're like, "We'll fight for you." And then they get on the boats, and they and they, they toss take all the, the boats out. They take the boats, and then, and then they start sailing up the sea. So we know for sure they're coming. We yeah. know the dead are. And that I mean, and that's the big difference is that yeah. in the theatrical cut, when those boats pull up to the you side of the shore, don't know. you don't know who's getting off of them. Yeah. Which I think creates an interesting yeah. moment for the audience. It's yeah. kind of a different experience. Yeah, it's completely different. And I was like, I actually think the theatrical version of this makes way more sense. The yeah. book version's closer to the, or the the extended version's much closer to the book. Yeah. Because we know what's happening in the book. But I, I, yeah, I was like, I actually think I prefer the theatrical version. Yeah, and we didn't cut that whole thing with the skulls because that was kind of weird. It's weird. And I don't know if you know what that, yeah, yeah. what that was. Okay. I, I, I will agree that I do not understand how Liv Tyler. How has, has Liv Tyler never once been cast as Snow White? And and not in anything that I know of. Because they had they have like those shots of her like from above, like laying dramatically on her bed with yeah. her dark hair fanned out and her pale skin. I'm like, now how has she never been cast as that she looks like Snow White? What are, you, what are you doing, Hollywood? I don't know. Messing up. Uh, everyone has 8 million names. I talked about this in one of the yeah. earlier episodes about how he goes full breaker of chains. Uh, that <laughs> happens several times in this book where people regale everybody with Aragorn's 
eight million titles because he's he's Ildris. He's not Ildris. Ildris he's Ildris Elisar. Elfstone. Uh, Elf, Elfstone. Uh, the, Aravalindiel. <laughs> She's got a million names. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. George R. R. Martin was like, I like lots of names. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so everyone has lineage in this world, and we get to hear everyone's lineage. Ugh. Even the fucking trees have lineage. Yeah. Um, and then at Theoden's funeral, we get oh, the, the Rohan Book of Numbers. For and like Brago a- begat Baldor, <laughs> and Baldor begat Thangal, and Thangal begat Theoden, and Theoden is the king of the Mark. Like, it goes on forever, though. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it yeah, is interesting. I was like, okay. We were listening to that like, uh, that's okay. All right, moving on. And one last little thing that I thought was interesting is the opening speech that Galadriel gives at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. The earth is changing. I feel it in the water. We were like, that's not in the book. Yeah, it is. It it's is. in it the totally very is. end of Return of the King. And guess who says it? Treebeard. Treebeard. <laughs> Treebeard says that in a conversation uh, to somebody, he says, the earth is changing. I feel it in the water, which makes sense for him to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they took that. Gave moved it, it to the beginning, gave, gave it, it to, to Galadriel. It's interesting. That would be interesting, though, to recut the opening uh, Galadriel monologue, but have Treebeard do the whole thing. <laughs> would create including a pauses and yeah, and whoms. It'd <laughs> be great if like the the editing of it had to wait along with, like you could do a comical <laughs> cut of that where it's 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 Treebeard doing it and he starts like pausing forever and and like and like so the flashback we're getting of the men fighting and stuff or whatever or whatever's happening in that moment like um, records, they have to like, like wait freeze frames. and they're like looking and they're like waiting and they're like and then he continues again and then it starts back up again and it could be fun yeah that could be fun alright let's do it let's finish this thing off the final Verdict. The final, final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. All right. So I have one small note. I think this might be the only time that I'd recommend watching the movies before reading the books. We have mentioned this, but I agree. Because I think it helps tremendously with being able to keep track of the characters and the places and just how everyone relates to everyone else and where everyone is in relation to everyone else. I think having that kind of precursory background knowledge helps for something as dense as these books. Yep. Um, but as far as the final verdict goes, um, I think that uh, Brian, you wrote a lovely final verdict and I think it sums everything up and also accurately reflects how I felt. Um, so I'm not going to add anything to that. Just that I agree with what you're about to say 100%. Oh, well, thank you. It's not super long, so here we go, though. One final time, I'm going to have to award this to the movie. This may be the closest one so far, as I think Return of the King is probably the most engaging read of the three books. I think this book benefits from it being the climax of our tale. Our read-through also benefited from the fact that we listened to most of this book. The audiobook was fantastic and definitely helped give me those chills in the places that the movie does, which I'm not sure would have affected me quite the same way if I was simply reading it. In The Return of the King, Tolkien spends slightly less time than usual assailing us with all of the mundanities of Middle-earth. 
Uh, this helps move the story along and definitely makes for a more exciting read. I think the movie streamlines this even more while giving us the added benefit of parallel storytelling, soaring music scores, and stunning visuals. The heart of Tolkien's story beats in Peter Jackson's movies, and despite the numerous changes, both big and small, the movies never feel like they forsake the inspirational text. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien is a masterpiece of fantasy writing, and The Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson and Company is its equal in every way, and I would argue just a little bit better. That's it. It's over. It's over. It's, it's done. done. <laughs> Thus ends <laughs> our summer series on The Lord of the Rings. I'm so excited to not be reading a thousand page book. Oh, yes. For a while. But yes, uh, we gave them all to the movies, but books are great. They are. And the movies are just brilliantly faithful adaptations. Uh, I don't want to go into any more of it. I already, we already, yeah, you know how we feel. We've talked about it. We've hashed it and rehashed it. If you've enjoyed listening to us discuss Lord of the Rings, you can do us a big favor. Come back and listen to the rest of our episodes. But also, uh, if you really enjoyed us, you can uh, rate and review us on iTunes or, or anywhere mm-hmm. else you download our podcast. Write us a review. Uh, give us a five-star rating. It helps a lot. It gets us out there to more and more people because iTunes will recommend us more. Yep. Also, uh, you can find us on any of the social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads. Uh, we have a subreddit, uh, all of those places. Just look for This Film is Lit. So follow us there and share us around to your friends. Yep. Also, sharing us helps quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You can share us on Reddit. If, you, if, if you're if you a part of a subreddit, uh, it, you know, if you're active on the Lord of the Rings subreddit, subreddit or anything like that and you enjoyed our episodes, feel free to share it there. Uh, that would be awesome. Also... Uh, come back on the social media and check out we do polls for all of the follow ups and you can vote on whether you prefer the movie or the book we love to hear your comments on what you mm-hmm. preferred and why so engage and yeah. we will engage back with and you. especially this time if you do prefer the books we, yeah. would, we would really and truly we love, love, love to, know, to know what what it is that you prefer about the books yeah, yeah for sure because um, I know there are people out there who definitely would, yeah. would vote that way um, and so before we get to it not before so Katie we're there now what's our next thing. We're done with Lord of the Rings. What are we doing? All right. So up next, we are going to do something that is a little lighter, both in tone and volume. <laughs> we are going to do Fantastic Mr. Fox. Nice. By Roald Dahl. There you go. Uh, I've never seen this movie, but I'm interested. I've always wanted to. I've I think I've good. seen it once. I don't I really remember it. much about it. Cool. All right. Well, you can go check out Fantastic Mr. Fox if we find it on Netflix or anything like that. We'll send you a link or we'll post it on our social media so you can go watch it. Uh, but until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else, thank you for joining us on our Lord of the Rings journey. It's been, it's been a blast. It's been a, <laughs> uh, an unexpected journey. It's been there and back again, a Hobbit's tale. <laughs> it's been the two. That one doesn't work. <laughs> the two towers. Uh, keep reading books. Keep watching movies. <laughs> keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.